It's time for Twit This Week in Tech. Great panel for you. All the way from Finland, Patrick Beja joins Brianna Wu and Senator Shoshana Weissman. We have lots to talk about what's going on at Twitter with the third-party clients. The Supreme Court considers Section 230, a TikTok ban, layoffs in big tech, and an anniversary for the most influential career, computer in my career. It's all coming up next on Twit. Podcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. This is Twit. This Week in Tech, episode 911 for Sunday, January 22nd, 2023. You too, too, right? This episode of This Week in Tech is brought to you by Shopify. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. This is possibility powered by Shopify. Sign up for $1 per month trial period. Take your business to the next level today. Visit shopify.com slash twit, all lowercase. And by ExpressVPN. Stop handing over your personal data to the big tech monopoly that mines your activity and sells your information. Protect yourself with the only VPN I trust to keep me safe online. Visit expressvpn.com slash twit to get three extra months free on a one-year package. Thanks for listening to this show as an ad-supported network. We are always looking for new partners with products and services that will benefit our qualified audience. Are you ready to grow your business? Reach out to advertise at twit.tv and launch your campaign now. It's time for Twit This Week in Tech, the show that we cover the week's tech news. Oh, I am so excited about this panel. I say that every week, but I really mean it this week. Brianna Wu is back, ladies and gentlemen, from Rebellion Pack, former candidate for Congress in Massachusetts, game developer, Porsche rehabilitator, <laughs> speed runner. Did I get it I all? Literally, I was literally buying a Porsche part for my uh, vintage 911 while you were introducing the show. So, yes, that is absolutely accurate. And I saw you wanted to buy some old non-running. It was like an auction for a $20 car. Yes. No, 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 no. It's a it's a, a Lotus Elise. So oh, I want right. to get, I've always wanted a Lotus Elise. I don't know if you know uh, this car, but when they brought it to the United States, they put uh, Toyota engines in it. So and, it's actually, and later uh, it was the model for yeah. the uh, Roadster, the Tesla Roadster. 100%. Yeah. yeah, it's a great car. It's super light. Uh, when you're in it, like there's literally nothing but you and a pedal and a shifter. Like <laughs> there's nothing in the interior, but it's just magical to drive. And there's, there's one I'm looking at an auction for. And because the car market is so soft right now, if I can get a good deal on it, I think I'm going to go buy it. You said it was like $35, but it's not, I presume, not running. No, no, no. It's uh, so it's an auction that, you know, keeps going up. Oh, so, uh, it was like the Twitter sold, furniture. I get it. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. I'm if I can get around 40000 I'm going to jump on it because I can make money fixing that up and uh, selling it here in New England. I thought I uh, I was so excited because I thought I could buy one of those soundproof uh, conference room booths from the Twitter auction because... <gasps> Because then we could do like I could put that in my living room and we could do shows in there. But it went, that's a it great up, idea. Oh yeah, but it ended up like it was like the get smart cone of silence. You go in this room and it's 
dead silent. Anyway, it went for like ten thousand. I couldn't. I couldn't. Oh my goodness! Let's go to Finland quickly and say hello to Patrick Beja of Le Rendezvous. Hey, hey. so nice to be here. You are uh, out of hibernation. You have two small children. <laughs> they are now old enough for you to do a show. I guess uh, almost, almost. I'm I'm uh, eliciting the help of my uh, wonderful wife, who will let me sleep tomorrow because it's the middle of the. The middle of the night here, oh, but God, uh, yeah, my daughter is almost two. Wow! So congratulations, it's, Dad. It's, it's happening. It's happening, Leo. Soon, life can start again. Yeah, and I was telling you, I have a thirty-year-old, and I, she's just as much work as ever. So I don't have to change your diapers, though. <laughs> that's the good news. Uh, welcome, Patrick. It's great to see you. There is a common theme. If you look at all three people's backgrounds, you'll see the common theme in a moment. Let's welcome Senator Shoshana, Shoshana Weissman, head of digital media at rstreet.org. She is being attacked by a giant hot dog. We're friends. It's okay. <laughs> you give full consent. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's fine. Like, it, it, it's cat and mouse. It's kind of cute, you know? <laughs> So you have a giant hot dog behind you. you used to be SpongeBob. I, I guess you've moved out from your home under the sea. Yeah, I live above ground now. It's uh, it's a little bit easier on the lungs, you know. Yeah, sloth committee chair. And by the way, professional hiker. Your pictures from uh, Chile, a mountaineer, I guess is what you'd call it. Were gorgeous, really beautiful stuff. Oh, thank you. I, I I can't take any credit. Everything there was so beautiful. I was just like overwhelmed uh, by it. And I really miss it. <laughs> really nice. And then Patrick has over his left shoulder, a right shoulder. He's got uh, Mario over his left shoulder. Yeah. And uh, of course, we have the queen of speed running Mario, Brianna Wu, right? What is your current speed running record? Oh my goodness. So I actually, uh, one of my dreams is not to be in the Super Bowl. It's to be in the speed running equivalent of the Super Bowl, which is called Games Done Quick. And I got my Princess Peach speed run time <laughs> down enough that I am actually going to be in GDQ, which is a huge honor. I am so, I know it sounds so stupid to normal people, but this is, it's, I'm trying to think of an equivalent. It's like an Academy Award. It's like, you know, it's like winning the World Series. And uh, I'm going to be in that next month. I'm so psyched about this. Is it a head to head speed running? Like you. No. So you have to show off live and try to break a it's world a time, record a live. And it's so for charity, want, which is awesome. A hundred percent. But yeah. you've got to understand you guys sit there and speed run a game with no mistakes where like the difference in a successful run and a failed run, it's like literally one thirtieth of a second in parts of it and not screw up and die. So like the tension is very high. Oh, I, so can't, I, I, I don't know why you do that to yourself, but okay. Uh, I'm a sadomasochist. <laughs> is, it, are, is the event you're going to be in the frost fatale? That is it. <laughs> it's an all woman speed running event, Frost Fatale, end of next month through March. Cannot 4th. wait. <gasps> and this will be for Malala, which is great. Supporting the Malala.org. I love that. Oh, I'll be watching. Will that will that make it more tense or less tense? No, I I, I could use all the uh, good wishes I can get for this. So go, please Brianna, do. Go, please do. Go, Brianna, go. <laughs> So are you can troll me in the chat with people. I will. I will say, I knew Brianna before she was a speedrunner. <laughs> <laughs> so you're still on Twitter, Brianna. I know you're pretty active I am. still. 
Shoshana, uh, I know you're still pretty active on Twitter. Patrick, are you still on the uh, on the tweeter botter? I am. Um, I wish there was an alternative, but and please, no one say Mastodon. I mean, yes, I'm on Mastodon as well. I, I, it's really great, um, but I don't think. I was going to say, unless he messes up colossally, which he already he has. To, it's kind of amazing how Elon has found ways to continue to mess up. Like, I thought it was going to be calm for a while. And then it, and then last week, a week ago, Thursday, he pulled the plug on third-party apps. He, he killed the API without telling anybody and without... Um, even admitting to it. And then in a few days later, well, the information had a story saying we have the Slack messages. It was intentional. And a few days later, they said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because these guys, Twitterific and Tweetbot and Tusk, they were breaking the rules. To which, you know, Craig Hockenberry and Paul Haddad said, we've been doing this for 15 years. What rules? To which it's, it's even worse. Twitter's response last but, Thursday was to make up some rules, stick them in, and say those rules. They they didn't even spe- specify any rules. No. They were like first after like I don't know four days or a week they were they said yeah we made some changes so some clients might not work, and then a, a week after that they updated the the uh, not the EULA but the the. API rules. uh, The developer, the the API rules saying, uh, yeah, we we are uh, uh, upholding some longstanding, oh, sorry, it was the other way around. We're upholding some longstanding rules, uh, so there you go, without specifying anything, anything. Like they didn't, imagine being a developer whose life it is to job, it is to develop your app for 10 years and all of a sudden, it doesn't work. And for days, no one says anything. And even when they end up saying something, they don't say anything. It is, I've, you know, I've had my issues with uh, Twitter and Elon Musk and the way he's been running it. Like, you know, giving Nazis back their voice was not great, for example. But I think this is even worse if that's possible it, it, it got me so infuriated is it really i mean it's all he's doing is saying uh, we want you to use our client because that's where our advertising is and so i mean I is think it that's really fine. worse it's the 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 blocking the third party apps is not the problem it's the way of doing it that is so disrespectful well and you know, some of these apps said, uh, we're, we're have been around since the beginning uh sean heber we had uh uh, Craig Hockenberg of the Icon Factory on Tech News Weekly. Great interview. You can see that on Ask the Tech Guys or on uh, Tech News Weekly. But Sean Heber wrote the uh, the uh, the end of an era blog post for Icon Factory and pointed out it's been Twitterific has been part of Twitter since 2007. They invented the blue bird that Twitter then started using. Uh, they invented the word tweet. Uh, they won many Apple Design Awards. This was you know the Icon Factory's bread and butter. Paul Haddad yeah. of uh, tw- tw- Tweetbot wrote a very sad uh, post. Here's the graveyard. And by the way, notice the elephant. That's because they're writing a Mastodon client called Ivory uh, to replace that. But but all of these small companies have said, please, we've pulled them from the App Store. Do not ask for a refund. We can't afford it. These, they could put these companies it, out of business. Yeah. I, I do Had just want to, if I could just say, I, I do just want to say, I 
don't think this is as bad as Elon it's letting not putting Nazis, Nazis on. And anti-vaxxers. Well, and all of that back on there. I think we need to put that in perspective here. Um, you know, I, I want to be honest and say, Leo, there's not many things I am more sympathetic to Elon on. The, these apps have always been in kind of uncomfortable water with Twitter because of the reason you just outlined. Like Twitter is there ultimately to sell ads. It screws up their ability to bring very specific products out to the to the widest audience possible. You know, they have this API and they do have a long working relationship. But you know, Twitter, long before Elon Musk bought Twitter, has been really encouraging people to use this app every single way they can. A lot of the 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 newer features like uh you know Twitter spaces. Uh, you can't access that from a browser. You need it from a, a smartphone to to do that. And it's, it's a it's a great feature. Uh, so you know, it's not to say I agree with the way Elon has done this. I don't. I think it's terrible. I think he's a terrible human being. I'm on record saying that. But I think it's fair to say that these developers should have known this. This writing has been on the wall for quite a while. It's actually not the first time it happened. Remember. Uh... Bill Gross was starting to buy up all the third-party apps, and Jack Dorsey cut off uh, a lot of third-party access, ended up buying TweetDeck to keep it out of uh, his hands. So uh, although Dorsey, as I seem to remember, has said that was a big mistake to cut off third-party uh, apps because <laughs> as much as they ride upon Twitter, they also contribute uh, to Twitter, and they add to yeah. The, yeah. the Twitter user base. Shoshana, do you, you probably just use the website, I would guess. Like most people, um, it's a big mix. It's a lot of TweetDeck. Um, a lot, you know, I I use it in all different kinds of ways. But I know that just people like different interfaces and stuff. So I think it is kind of short sighted to. I mean, you know, his behavior, the way he went about it, is bad. I think we all kind of agree there that that's just not how you treat other people in business, especially after he's been throwing other people under the bus and just creating all these waves for no reason in certain cases. But um, but yeah, like I plug lots of apps into other apps using Zapier and using Integromat. Yep, yep. I love those. They're so good. And I've had some um, wild ones like 50 step automations. Just sometimes you want to use apps differently and you want to find better ways to connect them or make them work for you. Um, and when people are kind of getting fed up with your app, generally through other decisions, whether or not even that's, you know, it's legitimate for them to be upset about it. You don't keep making waves. It, you know, it's one thing if you wanted them to come to the table and be like, listen, we have issues here. We need to work through this. Let's try to make this work. But just pulling the plug for no reason while other people are upset about the way he's behaving and the way he's running things. I just don't think it's smart business sense, which is like, I think everyone thinks just every random rich guy is going to be able to do amazing things if he touches any kind of company. But people have different skills and maybe this just isn't his skill set, which is okay. But like, for his own sake and all the money he spent on it, you would think he would just be like, well, maybe I don't want to lose like $44 billion. Like, let me take a step back and like figure that out. But it's just kind of wild to me that he hasn't done that. And he just keeps making waves and like, you know, uh, going after people he's worked with or who were at the company and firing people and all of this. It's just kind of a big mess for no reason that doesn't benefit him in any way that I can see. I kind of, you know, it's funny, Brianna, I would say I didn't agree with you, except I kind of do agree with you in this regard. I mean, it is a privately held, I mean, really privately held company. One guy owns the whole thing. He can do anything he wants with it. Uh, I'm a fan of, sorry, Patrick, Mastodon, an open 
platforms, the Fediverse and open platforms for that very reason that no one owns it. And it's kind of, there's an API and it's, you know, governed by its users. And if somebody decides to do something bad, they can be kind of, you know, routed around. And Twitter's not that. It's a centralized proprietary system. So on the one hand, I agree with you. He's doing, he's doing what's best for the business in this, in this one respect, at least short term, uh, because he's preserving the ad base, although apparently 40% of the ad revenue has disappeared out the window in the last couple of months. Um, there was a very good long piece by Zoe Schiffer, Casey Newton, and Alex Heath. Of course, they're the platformer uh, substack, but they, uh, I guess the Verge has rights to it. Very good kind of summary of the whole sordid story that came out a couple of days ago called Extremely Hardcore. Next to it, by the way, they have, this is a little mean, uh, a little mean. They have a Elon um, net worth meter And as you scroll through the story and the events, starting from the very beginning when Elon in April acquired 9.2% stake in Twitter, his uh, net worth meter thermometer goes down and down and down. <laughs> There's also some great illustrations. The production on this is great, but it is the first place I've seen Every step of the way, what happened. Also, a lot of contributions from people who were on staff, who were later fired or quit, who give us an inside look at what was going on. The I love the illustrations. This is the this is everybody yeah. trying to print out their 30, 30 days worth of code contributions. <laughs> Apparently, I, I, they I hadn't be, printed anything in so really long. Hold on a sec. Apparently, they hadn't printed anything in so long that none of the printers worked. <laughs> so they were busily trying to figure out how to get the printers to work. Eventually, a group of uh, executive assistants said, we'll print the code. Just send us a PDF because those printers, of course, worked. <laughs> and then a, and then a, no, new, a new missive went out saying, oh, forget it. Just just put, come with come be ready to show your code on the screen. Don't. And it says, if you've already printed it, please shred in the bins on San Francisco 10th. Thank you. So we saw there was a lot of detail. In this, go ahead, uh, Brianna. What, I know you. I know you. No, you. No. You want to qualify? I, I was just going to say. I. I just don't. I want to be very clear with people because I don't want to get clipped or taken out of context. I'm not saying what Elon did is right or I'm defending this at all. I'm saying it shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. If you look at X.com, this is the guy that brought banking uh, services online in the 90s in a way that allowed anyone to access any bank account and withdraw money uh, with no safeguards whatsoever. He just threw it together in a very haphazard way. If you look at the way Tesla was brought to market, there are a thousand stories of that starship nearly crashing and exploding. You know, you look at the way you treated the people that designed the Model Y doors uh, that failed originally. Uh, I think it was very, very poor treatment of a third party there. I had a Model and, X with Falcon yeah. Wing doors that after the rain, yeah. when you open the door, a flood would come, would come down. A sheet of water exactly. would come down from the inside part of the door on anybody sitting yep. in the seat because they never thought of putting, I don't know, rain gutters <laughs> on them. There was something. a huge lawsuit about about this with yeah. the the basically the ownership of who who engineered it. My my point is here it is not them defending what he did. It's it should not be a surprise to the developers or anyone else that Elon would do this. He's not your friend. You know, he's not some oh. genius billionaire. He's out to make money. He has a political agenda here, and he doesn't care who's going to get hurt along the way, whether it's his that's employees the, or his that's, partners. That's kind of I mean that's the tension. Is one on the one hand yeah. he owns it. 
If he wants to drive it into the ground and lose $44 billion, he still has $132 billion. He can lose it and, and not go hungry. It's his right to do that on the one hand. On the other hand, Twitter did have a, and maybe still has, this great import for us as a society, for the globe, to give a voice to people who were voiceless, uh, whether it was the Arab Spring or Occupy Wall Street or Black Twitter. Uh, and, and many people got their news from it. Uh, many people built communities around it. A lot, I hear from a lot of people who said, yeah, I, like Brianna, I probably know Brianna because of Twitter. Probably many of you because of Twitter first. Uh, certainly Shoshana because of uh, Twitter. So it's a public thing that we've all lost. And yet, and this is to me the whole problem with proprietary, somebody could buy it. Somebody with enough money could buy it and destroy it. That's his right. Yeah. About the proprietary thing, I really, uh, uh, Mastodon is great. I have an account. Follow me, not Patrick, at Mastodon.social. I love it. I think it is absolutely necessary. I just don't think um, it is going to replace Twitter it's a different anytime experience. soon. I'd agree, yes. Yeah. Well, it is. And Twitter is still here. Twitter is going to stay here for a long time, I think. And this is what I was trying to say. Um, because it provides the service it provides. And until, you know, it's the incumbent uh, advantage. Even with everything that's happened, we're still on it. We're still using it. You, you, you're kind of implying that it's in the past, past Leo, for all the things that we did and how we, you know, met up with, with each other through Twitter. It's still here. I don't think it's, it's a lot more is going to have to go wrong, which a lot has already gone wrong, uh, before people actually stop using it. It, it is the you know, incumbent advantage, which is enormous for elon musk that's the thing i find interesting i don't use it is in the past for me it's in the complete rearview mirror for me i don't use it anymore same thing with uh same thing with facebook it's in the rearview mirror uh so maybe that's why i am in that mindset already but you're absolutely right uh, everybody i asked this i've asked this for the last month of every panelist they're all still like you very active on twitter they're still using it and to me i almost want to say aren't don't you feel like that's supporting elon in a way of course, but you know we live in a society. We, I, we can't I vote with my, live outside I vote of with it. My and, legs. I vote with my eyeballs. I vote with my money. I don't want to support. Well, it. maybe you can. I had but a blue, there are a lot of people I had who a blue can't. Check they, and I paid for it. Well, I didn't pay for the blue check, but I had Twitter blue. But I stopped immediately as soon as Elon took over. He would have stopped me anyway. Apparently, he disconnected everybody. <laughs> I, I it's an important say, means of communication for a lot of people so, that can't, so you know, that have integrated and this is the it thing. into the You're business. thinking of it as a public wheel, as a public square, and it should transcend Elon. Oh, I don't. I don't think it should transcend anything. I'm just a realist. That that's how it is. Yeah. And I agree with Rihanna and you. He can do whatever the hell he wants with this platform. Um, I think he should uh, be a little bit more discerning and respectful of the devs that have been working with the platform for a long time. That's just like, it's not even, it's like ethics and morals, but he has the right to do anything he wants with it. But I think the platform is unavoidable um, if you're in a certain type of business. It's funny because I, uh, I, I tell my, our marketing team and our, our execs, get off Twitter. I don't think we should support it. Twitch should not have anything to do with Twitter. I've thought that for a long time. Uh, and they said the same thing. <laughs> no, we have to be. <laughs> that's, where the, that's where the audience is. Brianna, what, do, you, do you worry about supporting? You're actually giving Elon 
comfort, uh, aid, aid to the enemy? There is an article in Forbes that came out literally about five days ago. It's literally just my public tweets going after Elon that have gone viral. Uh, I see myself as conducting like good old school oh, information it's a, warfare. It's a good platform to attack him. him. Yeah. <laughs> hundred percent. Has he banned you or has he blocked you or has he done anything? Uh, amazingly, he, he hasn't. We've yeah. gotten in a, a fight or two. Uh, but, you know, a lot of people attribute that, hey, should I step down uh, tweet to something I said to him? So, yeah, I'm there to. By the way, he had a poll, publicly. lost the yeah. poll and did nothing. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm there to undermine him. You know, I'm going to tell you candidly, I'm looking at a book deal right now to like write a book, like basically just going after him. Uh, and it's that's that's why I'm there. I'm there. To, I'm there to fight dirty. I'm from Mississippi. I got no problem. Let me give you a little you. ammunition from this article. Yes. Uh, by uh, Casey and uh, Zoe uh, on October 26th, an engineer, mother of two, let's call her Alicia. They had they had a, more than two dozen, I think, uh, Twitter employees uh, sourcing in this former Twitter employees sourcing this article. Sat in a glass conference room in San Francisco, trying to explain the details of Twitter's tech stack to Elon. This was two days before he actually bought the company. But Musk was sitting two seats away with his elbows propped on the table, looked sleepy. When he did talk, he was to ask questions about cost. How much does Twitter spend on data centers? Why was everything so expensive? Uh. Well, Alicia was already tired of Musk's antics for a month. He'd gone back and forth about buying the company. You remember that? Um, he decided to back out of the deal, blah, blah, blah. So uh, here they were trying to show Musk what he was about to buy, and all he wanted to talk about was money. Fine, she thought. If Musk wants to know about money, I'll tell him. She launched into a technical explanation of the company's data center efficiency. Curious to see if he'd follow along. And here's the anecdote. Instead, he interrupted. I was writing C programs in the 90s, he said dismissively. I understand how computers work. <clears throat> so, you know, I was writing C programs in the 90s, too, but I don't think I'd understand Twitter's tech stack. <laughs> I can tell you right now. Uh, he, he was dismissive. Even worse in this article uh, is his uh, friend David Sachs. Uh, but also how uh, Elon tweeted, uh, treated Sachs. Sachs was a venture capitalist a fellow South African. He'd worked with Musk at PayPal. Um, he started Yammer, sold that to Microsoft. So, you know, successful. Um, during this conversation with Alicia, Sachs walks in and Musk says, David, this meeting's too technical for you. Waving his hand to dismiss Sachs, wordlessly Sachs turned and walked out. <laughs> Leaving the engineers slack-jawed. Musk's imperiousness in the middle of a session he appears to be botching was something to behold. But there's no question he's... Uh, uh, and how much can we curse here? You could say um, he's an a-hole. There, there's no, <laughs> right. There's no question about that. And I get, I have to say, um, a little bit irritated when people take pleasure in continuing to point it out okay. because we know that. We, it's no, no new news. You're right. You're right. It's he is a complete. He's full of himself. He's probably he doesn't. Uh, but since we're going there, um, please, ex I, I have this image that keeps coming back to my head of uh, other a holes, like for example, Steve, Steve Jobs, Jobs, Thomas had, Edison, Henry Ford, for example, all notorious. Um, <laughs> there you go. If I, if I'm if I'm going to play a little bit of devil's advocate here, which is a thing I do much to my own chagrin, 
Um, isn't there a possibility? I mean, SpaceX and Tesla have done things. Um, is there any chance that we're focusing on the a-holiness of Elon Musk? Well, it makes for, and, it makes for good copy, so that's why. Uh, but you're right. You're right. I guess then that leads to the question, uh, with her Twitter. Anybody want to make a prediction a year a year from today? Uh, Elon, by the way, has well, a he very, certainly doesn't a, seem to be having any strokes of genius on Twitter. He's got a like big interest payment terrible coming up after, uh, one after another. I think he's got a big interest payment coming up this month. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's not at the like end he, of January. Yeah. So maybe because I'm just such an optimist, I do think it'll make it. And I, I kind of do like the point too of like how there's lots of a holes who do cool things too. I think it's um. I go back. It's to, almost a uh, prerequisite, uh, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Like uh, I go to Jonathan Heights work a lot because I, I'm love definitely him. guilty of being, Oh, he's great. I love yeah, him. Yeah. And I'm very guilty of being a black and white thinker. I'm like, Oh, I just, I have to write this person off or, Oh, this person is great. And there's no flaws. And I, I've gotten over that over time in part because of his work. And I think that it's possible Elon fits into the dynamic where he has some very, very, very toxic things, but can also do some very incredible things. And um, one of my favorite examples from his uh, book, which seems kind of obvious, I guess, is, you know, Bill Clinton, that he would make such a silly and awful, but kind of there, there was no reason he had to do what he did with an intern and uh, to an intern really. But, um, you know, there was no real reason for that. Um, but, and he was so brilliant in certain other ways that it, it's hard to contrast, but different parts of people's minds work very differently and different parts of their lives work very differently. So it could just be that, you know, sometimes people can be awful in one regard, but brilliant in others. And I'm hoping the brilliance comes through and he, you know, delegates more with Twitter and lets it flourish because I think it's something that can be really great. Um, but if he doesn't, it'll fail. And I guess maybe this is the thing that'll kind of determine how we end up seeing him, what he's willing to make of it, what he's willing to turn it into. And and uh, if he's willing to get out of his own way, you know, that'll kind of put him in perspective, I think, for a lot of people. The you know, book, you know, by the I way, gotta, uh, Jonathan. I got to do a little pushback on, on all hold, of this. Hold on just a sec. I just want to, because okay, sure, yeah. we mentioned Jonathan Haidt, and I want to uh, give him the full plug. The book is The Righteous Mind, Why Good People Are Divided by Politics and Religion. That's not his latest, but I did interview him on Triangulation when that came out. His newest is The Coddling of the American Mind. Uh, oh my he's, goodness. he's an interesting uh, thinker. And uh, often has some very astute stuff. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Brianna. I just want to give him that. No, no, no. It's, it's, it's well said. I, I just want to say, look, you can have differences of opinions. I mean, I ran for Congress. I, I work with people I don't agree with stuff on all the time. It's just the nature of my job. I would posit to you, Elon Musk is a unique threat that is uniquely terrible. Steve Jobs was a jerk. Steve Jobs didn't have literally lines of women that worked at his companies suing him over sexual misconduct and then mocking those women publicly. Yeah. Steve Jobs did not have lawsuits uh, like of things so racist on the Tesla assembly lines. I'm not even going to repeat on this show. Steve not Jobs did not give anti-vaxxers a huge megaphone and specifically bring them back to a platform to broadcast those ideas and legitimize them to over 200 million people. Steve Jobs did not 
bring back someone who literally tried to incite an insurrection against the United States and gave him a huge megaphone. There is a pattern of egregious, toxic, extremely damaging conduct to our democracy. And I would suggest to all of you, this is not just boys being boys or someone that's a flawed figure. This is someone that is a uniquely toxic person to our discourse. And we need to be realistic and factual about that. Yeah, I agree with you. And that's why I, I left Twitter. I don't think I anyone is everybody is, is to leave Twitter because you're supporting this by just making Twitter a yeah. valuable place to be. And uh, the best thing anybody could do is to to abandon it. Abandoned ship. Yeah. I obviously am not leading a charge here. <laughs> I did the same thing with Facebook years ago. And I said, come on, everybody, let's dump Facebook. Hello? Anybody? So go ahead, Patrick. No, I, I don't think anyone is, is disputing. Like my, my joke earlier about him uh, letting Nazis back on the platform was a, a very serious stab about the real, real issue yeah. with, with the guy. Um, but and we still I, and talk no about him incessantly. A, I wish we didn't. Have to. Yeah, it's it's frustrating. <laughs> I but thought he was calming down. And he bought. We haven't and, done much Elon stuff in the last couple of weeks, and then he did this thing to the third party apps. And you know, we could we could stop for this episode. We're we going to stop right now. Elon ratio. <laughs> We're going to stop right now. We've we've exceeded our Elon uh, quota for the week. Uh, just to point out that the first installment of interest payments. Uh, will be due at the end of the month. It's going to be about one and a half billion a year. So what is that? At least a hundred million uh, at the end of the month. He can afford it. He could write a check. He could sell a jet, but um, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, I think he could keep this going for a long time. He's got a lot of money. If he were willing to lose money, uh, he's got a lot of money. And now he's got a lot more because he sold the Twitter at planter for more than $10,000 and the, Giant blue Twitter sign. How much did that go for? A hundred thousand, right? Somebody, yeah, I have it in my apartment now. I was going to say, it takes up more space than you would think. Good job, you know, can snagging that while while you. I could. saved up for it. It's uh, I won't be able to hike for a couple of years. <laughs> you got some? Who bought it? You think? I think it's a. It's one of the the goons. They call the the people who uh, are backing him up. People like Jason. I bet Jason Calacanis has the big Twitter sign in his house, in his Hillsborough estate. We're going to take a little break and continue with a lot more. It's so good to have you. No more, Elon. We're going with the Patrick Beja, <laughs> complete and utter. He's hit, We've hit the quota. The ban is on. Our show today brought to you by Shopify. I love that sound. That's your sign. This year, forget about those run-of-the-mill resolutions. Instead, start your own New Year's resolution. That's the sound to start selling on Shopify. I know so many people for whom Shopify is transforming their ability to make a living. My own daughter uses a Shopify store because it's so easy to set up uh, to sell her T-shirts. My son uses Shopify to sell his salt because it's so easy. It works so well and it's completely global. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. And this is why I'm a fan of Shopify because it's empowering to people who who want to start a business. Every minute, new sellers around the world are revolutionizing their businesses, making that first ka-ching with Shopify. <laughs> I love that. What's incredible to me about Shopify is no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify is there to empower you with the confidence and control to take your business to the next level. 
whether you're selling succulents or stilettos or flavored salts, Shopify simplifies selling online and in person so you can focus on successfully growing your business. That's exactly what Hank's doing. It's really kind of great to see. It made it, made it so easy for him. <clears throat> he sells out every time he gets a new batch of salts, and Shopify makes it easy so he can focus on what drives the sales, you know, his TikTok and Instagram uh, videos. That's the point, right? Shopify covers every sales channel. You can actually use it, and I didn't know this, in person with a point-of-sale system. And, of course, it's an all-in-one e-commerce platform as well. It even lets you sell across social media marketplaces like TikTok, Facebook, Instagram. It's, it is a true lever. Uh, it's incredible. Pack, you, know, you can move the world with this thing. Packed with industry-leading tools, ready to ignite your growth. Shopify gives you complete control over your business and your brand without having to learn any new skills in design or code. I was so impressed when I went to his website. I thought, that looks really good. How'd you do that? He said, Shopify. <clears throat> do you want marketing made simple? Shopify removes the guesswork with built-in tools that help you create, execute, and even analyze your online marketing campaigns. Henry's really good about that. He, he takes the feedback, really uses it to optimize, and it works. He has no training in this, by the way, but it makes it easy. You can customize your online store to your style, connect with new customers to drive growth, even maintain the relationships that will keep them coming back no matter how big you want to grow. Shopify grows with your business no matter how far or big you grow. Thanks to 24-7 help, an extensive business course library, an endless list of integrations and third-party apps, anything you can think of from on-demand printing to accounting to chatbots, Shopify is there to support your success every step of the way. Now, it's your turn. Get serious about selling. Try Shopify today. This is possibility powered by Shopify. This is what really excites me about the internet. It's just a, it's just incredible. You can sign up for a dollar a month trial period right now. Shopify.com slash twit. S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash twit. That's all lowercase. No need to hit the shift key. Shopify.com slash twit. Take your business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash twit. We thank them so much for their support. And on behalf of my family, I, I thank you for getting the kids off of, a, off of my checkbook. Thank you, Shopify. All right, big story. Actually, we probably should have led with this. The Supreme Court is going to hear, I think, a very interesting case. I, I wish I had been trained as a lawyer. I know one of the things you, uh, you do in a lawyer is as a lawyer uh, in your training, as you learn how to state the facts of a case in a coherent, succinct way. Uh, and then you can talk about the, the merits of it and the pros and cons. I'm going to do my best, but it won't be very good. The case is, Gonz <laughs> I'm just warning you ahead of time. The case is Gonzalez versus Google. The Supreme Court has agreed to hear it. I'm not sure. I don't, they, the arguments haven't happened yet, but we're starting to see briefs from all the big tech companies. Uh, come in uh, at the root of the case is a family, uh, the Gonzalez family in France, whose daughter was killed in 2015 in a Paris bistro. You probably remember this 2015 ISIS terrorist attack. Noemi Gonzalez. Uh, the reason they're suing Google in this is because ISIS allegedly relied on YouTube to recruit before the attack. Uh, 
So the family has sued to hold Google liable for aiding and abetting terrorists. Uh, Their contention is that the Google recommendation algorithm radicalized young people and turned them into terrorists with these ISIS videos. Uh, Google says, of course, well, we take those videos down the minute we find them. But they're not denying the algorithm. They are saying we are protected under Section 230. And really, that's why this is a very important case. Section 230 of the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, DMCA, written by Ron Wyden, to protect the Internet. It's very simple. It uh, it really is It's two rights. One, the right to uh, or the not be liable as a company. For instance, I'll give you the the immediate example to me. We have an IRC chat room. We have a Discord chat. We have uh, forums at uh, twit.community. We have a Mastodon twit.social. I would be liable and I could be sued by anybody for stuff posted there except that Section 230 makes me immune to prosecution and immediately causes the suit to be dropped. The judges say, nope, you're protected. That's part one. Part two of my rights, it also gives me the right to moderate. This is very important. Without the protection, there's the risk of taking down, let's say, Donald Trump's account, or as I do often, taking down uh, hate speech in our Mastodon instance would also open me to liability. That person could sue me for taking that down And maybe I'd win in court, but I'd have to defend it in court. Section 230 means I don't have to defend it. So Section 230 is very important to the Internet. We've talked about it a lot. Uh, The part of the problem, I think, here is that it is being associated with the big tech giants. Google and Meta, uh, Twitter, everybody is uh, signing on to uh, amicus briefs, friends of the court briefs, uh, why the Supreme Court should not do this. I love this one. The Supreme Court just uh, yesterday, I think, allowed, uh, or maybe it was Friday, Reddit mods to anonymously comment on this in Reddit's amicus. The reason being Reddit mods use algorithms all the time to moderate their individual uh, subreddits. But many of them are anonymous. And so uh, normally in an amicus brief, you sign it. And they went. Reddit went to the Supreme Court saying, can we have anonymous, because our moderators want to stay anonymous for a good reason in many cases, can we uh, allow their comments? And the Supreme Court said, yes. Yes, you, you uh, the, the Sophia Cope of the EFF said, we're happy the Supreme Court recognized the First Amendment rights of Reddit moderators to speak to the court about their concerns. So, uh, actually, I should mention that R Street, uh, which is uh, the lobbying uh, organization, the Shoshana. Uh, are you an employee or a contractor for them? I should get that. Story. Oh, employee. And we're technically a think tank because um, sometimes we just put out ideas. Sometimes we're like, hey, please do this or hey, please don't do this. It varies on the day. <laughs> so it's more you. And in fact, this comes from Jonathan Cannon, your policy counsel. Um, so this is more an amicus brief uh, of why Section 230 should be protected. Yeah. Um, but you take kind of an interesting uh, point of view. Um, so, peti- so petitioners claim that a, a test has been used by the lower courts to resolve 230s cases to say that YouTube's recommendation algorithms are not protected. And I, you know, and I have to say, I'm not 
sure about this. Boy, I know I need Section 230 because I would not. We would not have a chat room or a forums or Mastodon if Section 230 didn't exist because it would put me out of business. I'd have to defend frivolous lawsuits right and left. Uh, so I'm in favor of 230, but I kind of understand the family's point of view that Google did more than just, you know, is Google's out recommendation in effect taking an editorial position on this stuff should, I think maybe should make them liable. Um, and so... That's why this initial test that it's a traditional editorial function test. Now, your your Canon, your uh, your uh, counsel said both theories are wrong. Petitional's traditional editorial functions test is unsupported by the text of two thirty. That's true. Two thirty is very clean and simple. It's almost like a constitutional amendment. It's very good, uh, and is also he says not consistent with lower court decisions that purportedly make use of it. The conventional three pronged. Barnes test, which lower courts typically use to determine whether Section 230 applies, is a much better fit. So he's kind of lobbying for this Barnes test. I don't, I should probably read up on this. He doesn't describe what the, the Barnes test, but he does say Google's algorithmic recommendations satisfy all three prongs and thus are entitled to Section 230. YouTube's labeling of relevant videos with the words up next does not void 230 protection, just as a newspaper guiding readers to the remainder of a front page story would not void that paper's legal protections. I, I don't know if up next is exactly the same as continued on page 25. Canon says so. Nor does YouTube lose Section 230 protection for arranging its site in a way that is navigable and relevant for users. That makes sense. Um, a newspaper does not waive otherwise applicable legal protections for publishing an article when it puts it on the front page. YouTube does not lose protections for hosting a video when its algorithm makes that video up next. Eh, I feel a little funny about that one. And he says even if recommendations were distinct pieces of content rather than necessary byproducts of organizing content, these recommendations would be generated by user inputs subject to neural, neutral algorithmic rules and that's not speech developed by YouTube. I, I would contend those are not neutral rules, that the rules are in fact to optimize for profit by optimizing for engagement. Yeah. And I don't think that is neutral. Finally, he says a ruling for petitioners would lead to dire consequences for online speech. This I agree with, thwarting the purpose of Section 230. So our street is in favor of, of keeping 230 intact, as are of course all the big tech companies. So I, I think this is a fascinating subject. I've done a terrible job. I would get a C- in, in law school. <laughs> but uh, that's my state uh, statement of the case, of the facts of the case, and my thoughts about it. Uh, Patrick, yeah, you, well, go ahead. Shoshana, you should start because oh, sure. this is your brief. Sure. So um, I actually didn't know we were going to talk Section 230 today, but I'm still wearing my Section 230 necklace because Woo-hoo! I'm obsessive. And I really like the law, and especially for someone... Uh, so free market as I, I don't often like laws, but I do think it was very well written. Um, also, In a way, it preserves the free market, right? It means exactly. that the free market of ideas can can exist. Right, exactly. And um, also, you had one error that I'm going to call you oh, out please on. You do. said yes. that it was part of the DMCA, and it was part of the Communications Decency I'm Act sorry, of 1996. CDA. I apologize. You're fine. There's a million acronyms, yes, and, uh, and I just thought no, that's it's funny. That's exactly right, yeah. Yeah. But uh, we've done work on the DMCA, too, which is why I'm like, oh, I know what that is. Yeah. But um, 
I think with algorithms, there's a bunch of different things to consider for how Section 230 applies. And one thing that I really love that you're talking about is that it applies to all sizes of things, that it's not just the bigger tech companies. Um, But Facebook in the past, or Meta technically, has actually lobbied to kind of sideline 230 in certain cases. So some of them, some of the larger tech companies disagree on like how 230 should work, where it should apply. Um, for me, I'm genuinely for it for the smaller platforms because we see the way Twitter is going, like we were talking about before. I want competitors and I want to make sure that, you know, there's an incumbent advantage, but 230 makes it so that there's a little bit less of that. Because without 230, these smaller platforms like Mastodon doesn't have a huge team of lawyers. Um, Nor does Leo. Sort of. (laughs) And I don't know if Mastodon would be liable if something bad were posted on Leo's instance. I think I would be liable, probably Mastodon as well. So that's part of it, the layers of of, uh, liability there. And with algorithms in particular, algorithms are speech. So you can be liable for your own speech, Um, you know, like Twitter's liable for its own writing and its own content, just not for user content. But as far as um, as how it, it impacts the an event here, like how an algorithm impacts an event, it wasn't the inputs weren't optimizing for like the worst of the worst content. It wasn't trying to do that. Um, and also part of it, I guess, is that, uh, you know, um, people on their own will find the content they want to find. Um, awful stuff and conspiracy theories spread them on the Internet long before algorithms were in use. Um, and because of that, um, I think sometimes people t- tend to demonize algorithms more than they deserve. Not to say that there's not problems with them or that there's not ways to improve them or make them safer and make them better. But um, but I think sometimes people forget that the demon in the algorithm is the person it's optimizing for, which it could just be a regular user. Um, but in this case, I just don't think the um, the other side has a really strong case that these items were connected, that it was the, you know, the specific terrorists, that it was um, terrorists broadly who were, um, you know, radicalized by YouTube. Yeah, um, I mean, and the court may end up saying, well, the, you don't have standing. This isn't, a, you know, sure. these aren't people who were involved, blah, blah, blah. But it does raise a very interesting issue. And uh, I guess my issue is that an algorithm to optimize profitability through creating engaging, more engaging or showing more engaging content tends to move towards extremes. That's, I mean, we've seen that. And I worry that that is problematic, right? Um, I, I, and I would hate to, and I would, what I don't want to do is lose 230 protections, I also understand that algorithms are used in a variety of ways. These Reddit Reddit moderators say, look, we use algorithms all the time, not in that way, but we use them all the time to uh to you know protect the the subreddits. We we don't want to have that tool taken away from us. I understand that. But it there does I feel like Google's a little liable f- for surfacing content that is um more profitable because it's more engaging and hence more extreme. Well, they it it does surface, but I think one key element. Oh, I'm bumping into my desk. Sorry. One key element is how good a job are they doing at uh, pol- policing this and removing the objectionable content? And I don't know how well they were doing it that in 2015 and a few years before. But I really think from what I know of the platform that nowadays they're doing a pretty decent job, uh, partly uh, motivated by rules in the EU that states, you know, you have to remove something within 24 hours of it being 
um, you know, of you being notified. Um, and, and I think that there, you're never going to have any form of media or platform because we're talking about the internet where, uh, user generated content can appear that is going to be completely clean. That is just impossible. Uh, anyone saying otherwise is, is I think wrong. And if Google is doing a, a, an, an earnest job at policing the platform, maybe, you know, we could argue that maybe they're not in certain uh, instances, but I think for things that are related to terrorism and child pornography, they're probably doing their darnest. They to say, sure and I think the they're right. They try, they try to take those videos down as soon as they find them, they take them yes. down. I mean, they're, they're doing exactly. everything they can. So I'm not, I'm not faulting and, them for that, but I do feel like, and again, the word algorithm is probably a bad choice because algorithms can mean a lot of things. It just means a computer program. But uh, I, I do feel like there's a danger to algorithms, to programs that is surface content because it's more engaging, hence more profitable. But, I mean, that seems to me to be a little different from what people are doing on Reddit, what Mastodon's doing with the trending topics. That seems different, but maybe it's not. Maybe it's not in under the law different enough that we can allow it. The, the problem is that uh, algorithms uh, optimizing for engagement is kind of an emergent property of you trying to offer good user experience yeah. to your right. users. You know, uh, what those algorithms do is show stuff that is that people like to watch. Right. So, again, it, it becomes an issue of I think. So that's part of it. But the other question, if you'll allow me to to give another angle to this. Let's say, let's study for a second what happens if you do uh, remove 230. If you, because the, the web today is largely a uh, user generated uh, content powered uh, web. And if you remove section 230, I think you're right. Uh, in an instant, those businesses are threatened, very much threatened. It and turns if we into get a bunch into, of Coca-Cola ads and stuff. I mean, it's just not. It's, well, not just Coca-Cola ads. User-generated web, I'm not sure can survive. So what right. you end YouTube up with goes away. is yeah. institu institutional uh, media and no small guy like right. or gal. You only have big companies that can afford to produce content and to have websites. And that is I think the biggest, because again, we don't like Nazis. And I think there are a lot of issues currently with uh, them abusing the, the section 230 essentially ness of the web to be able to be there and prolifer uh, proliferate. I still don't think we should remove user generated content, which I don't think it's, un you know, it's so big section 230. I don't think it's unreasonable to say if the Supreme Court rules a certain way, the user-generated web is threatened. Um, and that's a, a very uh, uh, concerning prospect for me because you're left with, you know, big companies and yeah. that's it. You don't have anything else on the Internet. Yeah, that's what a lot of my concern revolves around as well, just because good ideas come up all over. And, uh, you know, Facebook's not doing so great and people have had issues with it. I will say there's this one really great article, and I think it was in the Wall Street Journal, on how Facebook, after January 6th, after the attack on the Capitol, they tried to minimize political content and tried to make it just 
other content, whether it's fashion or whether it's just other friend stuff. And people hated it. They wanted more <laughs> political content after saying they didn't want it. But it's kind of interesting to say, well, OK, well, we want this. Well, not really not like that. And I think there's a lot of complexity here that even if they're not optimizing for profit in certain ways, it's still you know, the users don't always like it. And it's not just about the profit side, but it's about the things the users like. And then um, on the algorithm side too, like I know we've been talking about it here, but uh, just, you know, you need algorithms as a tool for moderation. Um, I think it was Casey Newton too, who had made this point that mental illness and like real trauma can stem from moderators who are looking at just the worst of the worst content. And it takes real pressure off of them when you're able to use code and, you know, use stuff like that to be able to help in the moderation process. And, um, and I think it's important that when we demonize things, um, as part of this, that, that it's something that's bad across the board. Like it's not just bad if Google does it, but it's bad if all trails does it. And I tend to go from, you know, the biggest example to the littlest ones because, um, you know, I've seen scams posted on all trails and, you know, them using um, uh, algorithms to maximize profit. I still don't think should mean that they're liable for scams that right. people are posting. No, and then fact, um, that's absolutely yeah. right. In fact, all trails using algorithms to pick the best trails in an area to hike is is exactly what it should be doing. Right. Yeah. There's no problem with that. Uh, so what if it increases profit? Yeah. I have to say I, that could. that what you said, Patrick, is important because the New York Times yesterday had a piece, not an opinion piece, but an article, Supreme Court poised to reconsider key tenets of online speech and focused on big companies. For, this is the lead. For years, giant social networks like Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram have operated under true, cru true crucial tenets, and they talk about Section 230. Now the Supreme Court is poised to reconsider those rules. Misses the point. Facebook, Google, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok will all survive that. But my little sites will not. And all the sites like all trails will not. It's not about the big tech giants here. And it's a mistake. And I think that's a politicization of it because there is a kind of political agenda against big tech. And that's the politicization of what is something that's really not political. Uh, go ahead, Brianna. I'm sure you... I bet I bet you're a two thirty absolutist. I would guess. No, how can I put this? I have been around politics enough to know when you are on a failing side of an issue being framed, and I've got to say, when it comes to tech companies being more responsible with their algorithms, they've won. I mean, listen to this whole discussion. This is a framing that you're just going to lose. If the way they've stacked the deck is it's like, look, you either believe in Section 230 or you believe that Google should continue to do very little and not enough about this. Um, like we, we barely talk about red pill tube, which is a huge phenomena. If you have young children out there that are their boys, you need to be aware of what they're looking at on YouTube. There is a very frightening subgenre of outright misogynists out there. It's not just Andrew Tate. I look at it every single day. That algorithm is dangerous. The, 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 the radical, like reactionary, uh, part of the politics that are, you know, anti-vax and pro-violence and anti-democracy. That is dangerous. And I have the opinion 
that Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and all these companies have completely failed in their civic responsibility to provide a functional public square. And their lawyers have come into an, an argument that is absolutely reasonable that their daughter, y'all, their daughter was killed by a terrorist group and they have a very clear chain of evidence of how this this rabbit hole on youtube aided in the radicalization that is a problem worth solving and at some point some adults are going to have to have a more nuanced conversation that look you either want to throw section 230 in the airlock because it is correctly going to hurt people like you leo but we've still got to do something about this problem our democracy is on its last legs y'all these algorithms are designed to make us angry at each other and screaming at each other all day about the stupidest stuff that does not matter and our country is not going to survive we've got to address this at some point we're seeing the consequences of that this yeah. was this was actually my thinking initially was yeah, we yeah, 230 is important and we got to do something. And I so I came from that point of view. But one of the th problems I'm having as I talk to a lot of people about this is it's very hard to draw a bright red line about around which algorithms are OK and which aren't. And that's I don't think something the courts or the legislatures are going to be able to do. It's too nebulous of a concept. So maybe I'm starting to come around to the Section 230 absolutist just because we can't say, well, that algorithm is radicalizing, but that one's not. Well, it's even, it's, it's even more than that. It's not even about, I don't think, the algorithm. It comes back to another fundamental question about moderating the Internet. Who decides what's, you know, what should be moderated? Obviously, Brianna has some very strong uh, opinions about that. And I think for the most part, if not for everything, I probably would agree with, with Brianna on what should be moderated. The problem is, again, who do you put in charge? Are we going to say, okay, Brianna goes to YouTube and decides this is what video should be deleted? And, uh, you know, what if she makes a mistake or what if YouTube makes a mistake and, and, and deletes something that shouldn't be? And it, who decides this? And I, I guarantee you, again, coming at it from the European point of view, when you, what YouTube would love is for the, the, the legal system to tell them what should be deleted. And they will gladly delete everything that the legal system tells them to. Far more course, than I would like, including many of our shows. <laughs> but okay, go ahead. <laughs> it's, <laughs> well, I, I think your shows are being deleted because YouTube wants to please their advertisers through content ID and stuff like yeah, that. Or, um, yeah, or, or content, uh, large content creators over small content creators, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But but if, if we found a way for an... A, a, a governmental or you know judicial authority to decide and and have enough uh, uh, manpower to review stuff that should be deleted. That's what we are edging towards in in France or in in the EU. YouTube would be very happy to do it. The uncertainty is very right. bad for their business, right. for their right. image. Um, and and the problem is 
there's no solution to this. There's so much content that you can't review everything and, and decide individually what should or shouldn't be. Um, so Red Peel 2, which is a big problem, if they had legal, like, you know, a, a document saying you should delete that, they would, I'm certain. Um, well, and they... Part of it it's is that, that there's so much content put up so fast. They say we delete all the ISIS videos the minute we find them, but clearly they can't get all of them because there's so much being put up there. It's almost. I also have a um. So it's funny. Uh, this this actually relates something to, uh, to, to. Sorry, this relates to something I'm doing on Tuesday. I'm having an um a webinar uh, through our street where we talk about government content moderation, just um the, the logistics of it, kind of like when go- when maybe a senator is like, hey, that person was being mean to me, and that you know being on the totally illegitimate side, all the way up to um court orders that they can't reveal that um you know government has said please keep this content up or please take this content down. That there's a whole spectrum here. Of um of very legitimate to very illegitimate and um and some of it's concerning from government um not just American governments but governments all over the world and I think a lot of times we kind of trust our own to be like all right generally you know if we set some guards for them they'll they'll do it right they'll they'll police content right but in other countries it definitely won't be the same like when um I forget which country but it was one in the Middle East where uh, it was the audio only app Clubhouse. And um, and they were saying, hey, Clubhouse, you know, we might want your user info because you're not recording things. We want to know who's talking against us as the oh, government. Yeah. So there's that whole spectrum yeah. there. Can you but, compel um, that? That's a really interesting question because it's an yeah. in theory, right? Exactly. Yeah. So there's that whole spectrum. And I think there's stuff to think through there, because even when the government flags content, it might be something dangerous and it might be totally legitimate or it might not, no matter what part of the process. It well, goes look what through. happened uh, with Modi's government in India uh, and Twitter, by the way, cooperated. Modi did not like a BBC documentary about him. Uh, in India, they're blocking the YouTube videos and Twitter posts, and they've asked Twitter to take them down. And apparently Twitter has agreed, has done it. Uh, these are by this documentary, as far as I can tell, is not libelous. It's telling the truth about Modi. He just doesn't want anybody in India to see it. There's a yeah. perfect example of government intervention gone wrong. There's also, If I may. Yeah. Sure. Sorry. Go ahead, Shoshana. Oh, yeah, just super quick. One other thing I just wanted to add, too, is that um, there's also different theories from the law enforcement side of whether, you know, let's say there's um, there's something illegal going on and uh, there's certain law enforcement and it can be agency by agency, but they think it's worth it to keep this content up so we can continue to watch it out in the open and find the people who are being drawn into it versus what if we take this down and it's better off that way. And others who are concerned, okay, what if you put it in the dark? Then can we not understand what's going on there? Is that worse? So not to say that, you know, that that there's certain things that are that don't seem obvious, but sometimes I even question myself when I'm thinking, man, I wish that was down. I'm kind of a little bit more glad it's in the open where people can see it and do something about it if it turns into something. That's I, all I, I originally I, thought that when the Internet uh, began, that oh, this is great because all of this hate that's under a rock will be exposed to sunlight. Uh, and it'll go away, and instead it just <laughs> multiplied. It didn't quite work out that way. Go ahead, Brianna. I, I hear what all of y'all are saying. I really do. I, I, I genuinely hear you, and I agree with you that when it comes to Section 230, I think we're all in complete agreement that we want this to stay 
largely how it is. This is my question to you, and I genuinely want an answer from any of y'all here. I hear what you don't like. I hear that loud and clear. What do you propose we do about this problem? Is it just acceptable losses to you? Because tech doesn't have a good answer for this. What I hear constantly is, well, if we do this, it's going to cause this. This is a problem. We don't want to do this. That's fine. What is your damn solution? Because we cannot keep ignoring this as a society. Leah, you asked earlier, like, why we aren't quitting Twitter. I can give you an academic answer about that. The reality is it's a wildly addicting product. And, you know, as far as why people didn't like uh, Facebook lessening political uh, content after uh, nine, after uh, the January 6th insurrection, it's because we like being angry. It's wildly addicting, yeah. just being angry it's, at each it's other. It's like asking, why do people still use heroin? Don't they know how bad why, it is Why are for you them? still smoking? Yeah. 100%. Yeah. What do y'all want to do about this problem of radicalization? Or is it just an angrier, more dysfunctional country, just oh. an acceptable loss to continue on this path? I can I can try to answer that. Um, sure. And I'll turn I'll turn back to to Leo and Shoshana and say one thing we can try and we should do is trust our damn government, which is something that Americans seem completely incapable of doing which is a kind of uh uh i don't know malady of the mind because you've been are you surprised observing from finland are you surprised that we don't trust our government (laughs) i mean i think that we have a politicized supreme court a hundred percent polarized congress uh i'm i mean how can we're banning uh, African-American well, studies in so, Florida. How, what do you mean, trust okay. your government? I will, I, will, I will amend what I said. <laughs> when I said trust your government, I wasn't talking about you. I meant in general people should trust the government. Maybe the United we States need a is better the government. exception. Yeah, we might but, need a better government. <laughs> no, but <clears throat> what, I, what I mean is I think that part of the situation you're at, this is completely like I, I don't know what I'm talking about, but I think the situ, part of the situation you're in uh, the reason is that you you initially don't trust anyone, so it doesn't matter. So, but we'll vote for whoever, and right. that's how you end up with Trump in the White no, House. That's right. That's um, right. It's more of a statement I, I, than I, it I, is electing somebody to run the place. Yes, I I really think yes that that part of the platform of uh, the people who led your country to January sixth is. Uh, sowing so much chaos and distrust in 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 the government that nothing matters so they end up benefiting because if you don't trust anyone then the ones who don't have a plan or not who don't have a plan who are uh uh, you know uh, um ultimately the 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 chaotic (laughs) people end up having a chance to be elected and then they thrive on that but in general if you if you look at what we're doing in the eu we are um shaping the way which by the way giving the example of uh india and china is something that i do as well it's like well if you want the the companies to obey the government then what happens when the government says something bad well yes it is a problem but it doesn't mean as brianna was suggesting essentially we still need to do something and in the eu we're really and i'm surprised that we're achieving that 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 uh, result, we're really getting to a place where the big tech has to do what we as 
you know, the will of the people expressed through the government, they have to do what we ask them to. Yeah. They have to, or they abandon a, a, a market of 450 million people, which they don't want to do. So right. they're accepting things that they, you know, were saying, oh my God, can't you imagine what it will do to our business? And when we'll, oh, we can't do this. No, they're doing it because the government said, you either do or you're out. In, it does, in, it in, does feel know, like a little bit of an fines. experiment. I'm glad to watch the experiment. It's not a. It's a mixed bag a little bit. Uh, and yes, they have the absolute regulatory authority to put a business uh, on the ropes. Um, it's I, I hear what you're saying. When, I genuinely hear what you're saying there. There's no future in the United States where we just trust our government and and start it's kind of our national of regulation character. here. Yeah. It's just not who we are. There's okay, no future. so what's your solution? Hold on, Brianna, just let then. me finish, please. There's no future where like Americans just stop owning guns either. What I think we need to do is exactly why I ran for Congress. I think that we should take a much stronger role. I think that the people that serve on the Space Science and Technology Subcommittee, yeah, they put uh, Gonzalez on that committee, the one I ran for Congress wanting to serve on because it's so important because it regulates all of this stuff. We've got to take a more active role in regulation. And I, I think that should be the hottest place for people to serve. It, it's seen as this, this uh, I don't want to say ghetto, but like a, 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 a shameful thing to do. So I think in lieu of stronger reg regulation there for a congressional place, I think we need state houses to step up and do the, do their job there. California could do immense, immensely good work there. If they were to step up and require things because their economy is so great, the same way they have with automotive standards. Beyond that, I think YouTube and Facebook should be holding themselves to far higher standards. And we, as technolo technologically literate people, should be expecting more from them rather than defending them on everything and expecting less. We are getting the social media platforms we are asking for. And I, I just, I, I think that there's a real tendency to shrug our shoulders and just ignore the body count. That, I, let me get Shoshana. Not... Let me get Shoshana in because uh, I think she might have something to say about all this. Sure, a couple of things. First, it makes sense that Gonzalez would uh, serve on the committee because he's had decades of experience in science. He was the chief scientist at NASA for years, so you know he just has this really long resume. And I think. I just think it's silly to criticize them for being on that. But second, um, uh, that committee tends, or the subcommittee, right, uh, tends to not uh, do so much on technology on that side of technology policy. It's definitely more energy and commerce. Um, it's for, at least in the House that tends to do the legislation. I'm not exactly sure why, because sometimes the committees don't always like align in ways you would think. Um, there have been a couple, uh, like, um, <clears throat> sorry. Science, space, and technology tends to do more cybersecurity, while uh, energy and commerce, for whatever reason, they tend to do the tech legislation. But also, um, I, I don't want legislation just to do legislation. I want it to be right, which is why I take it seriously when, um, you know, legislation uh, going after algorithms says you're only allowed to have date, you know, like time 
and uh, like time ordered or some basic thing like that. And anything else will fall under this new regulation. The the proposals have been really, really basic. It's not really technology, uh, technologically literate. So if there were larger issues, you know, that they wanted to tackle, the, the legislation out there did a really bit bad job of going after it. But I think that there's other ways to go about it because I genuinely don't think 230 is the problem. One thing that I really like is funding NCMEC more. Um, and also making sure that platforms can ma- maintain child exploitation um, materials longer in order to match it and use hashes to go find more of it. I think in certain cases they're limited um, by the, I forget exactly the number of days they're allowed to keep it for. It's obviously something that we wouldn't want anyone to have in any case, but if it allows them to find more of it and work further with NCMEC in order to find more of it, I think that's a really good way. The National also, Center for Missing Exploited Children. Just Thank you. I will never remember what it all stands for. No, I just know that they do really good work. <laughs> I just for people who are saying, what, what's that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And um, also a federal privacy law, I think, is a good way to go about things. I do worry a lot about the states doing things on their own because, um, you know, I have I have nuanced issues with California's laws, but also with like Florida and Texas. They just made these super blatantly unconstitutional laws saying, oh, you can't have bias in moderation. And it's super anti-First Amendment. Not to say that the stu- same stuff couldn't happen on the federal the way, level. You know, Supreme lawmakers. Court is also considering those two laws. So, it's Yeah, like that'll f- be... Yeah. I won't sleep a lot. That'll be so much. Friday, There's too many cases. <laughs> uh, the, the oral arguments on Friday for the Texas and Florida laws and then uh, next month for the Section 230 uh, thing. I, I just, actually didn't realize they were coming up so fast. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I somebody in the chat room says, "Come on, let's get real. The Supreme Court's going to overturn two thirty. It's obvious." No, I certainly no. hope not. I certainly hope not. Um, no, and I, I yeah, think I, I understand, Brianna, especially coming from politics, your kind of real politic point of view, which is you've got to find a way. You can't be purist about this. You've got to find a way to protect Section two thirty. But at the same time, we may need to make progress uh, with polars. I'm saying that it's very easy to shrug your shoulders at the yeah. radicalization that's happening on YouTube. I mean, I've I've seen this firsthand. I don't want to go through it again on the show. Today, yeah, yeah, but yeah. It's a it's a real problem. It really affects people's lives. And how about TikTok? You, how do you feel about TikTok? I think it's a much more wholesome place to spend time than YouTube. <laughs> I kind of agree with you. And nevertheless, uh, what, what is it now? Up to 20 or 30 states have banned TikTok. Uh, yeah. And now uh, Alabama has banned TikTok. So Auburn has banned TikTok from its Wi-Fi network. Um, and I think a lot of this is kind of politicized uh story from the Washington Post. As states ban TikTok on government devices, evidence of harm is thin. I kind of agree with this. I hate to say, you know, Scott Galloway had um, some commentary on this. I, I really thought was, was fair. And, you know, I, I think that you have to assume that China does not have these same like firewalls between their companies and their government. And I think you've got to assume that those companies are going to be giving all of that data like freely over to, um, you know, to the PRC basically. So I, I think that there are reasonable national security concerns you can have about a, uh, another country shaping what an entire generation of young people 
what they see, how they feel about things. I think that's also an algorithmic bias that you should you should be considering. So I'm glad to see. I don't know if censoring it is the idea. I think there's an adult discussion to be had there. Yeah. For I think Go ahead, sorry, Shoshana, no, go ahead. and then uh, then you all right. You want to cede your time to the honorable uh, <laughs> podcaster from the state of Finland. Go ahead, sir. Yeah, I think um, a really difficult thing with TikTok is that no one is saying or, well, the, the real issue isn't that harm is happening now. The issue is it is a potential for harm in the future influenced by the, uh, the, the, the Communist Party in China. And we don't know that it's happening. We don't know that it necessarily could happen, but we'll never be sure. And um, what Brianna is saying is completely right. The, a whole generation of, of, of humans is living on TikTok now. And it started with dances and, you know, that kind of thing. It's, it, there's a lot of content about everything on TikTok. And it's incredibly creative. I spend some time on TikTok. It's amazing. But it is also potentially maybe, you know, influenced by um, the, 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 the Communist Party. And there was a story, um, I don't know if you saw it, but it, there was a story about heating on TikTok, which was controlled by uh, people at the company and people at ByteDance in China. Heating is essentially pushing a video to be to to get more views so you put it on the for you page and it substantially increases the amount of views it gets because it's you know presented to more people the, the idea that the whole generation not only could, i know you talk about this often leo you're like why why does it matter if they have this and that uh uh information about me on tiktok they know what you like they know what you watch they know what you enjoy and it's just as bad as Cambridge Analytica, I think. Um, and just as impotent, by the way, as Cambridge Analytica. <laughs> sure, <laughs> A lot sure. of evidence but that Cambridge Analytica by- achieved nothing uh, and was overselling its uh, capabilities. I don't think TikTok... Yeah, TikTok knows from its algorithm what I want to watch, which is apparently women in bikinis. But it doesn't know who I am. Uh, and uh, I don't know if it's an invasion of privacy. Its big interest is in giving me more of what I spend time looking at. No, but yeah, now. But what if, and it's maybe a, a, a huge, uh, uh, how do you say it? Like it's a huge red herring. But what if the Chinese government can, has plugs into TikTok? Right. Yeah. Well, I'm it sure is, they do. It's, it's the same as Huawei. We don't know if they have, you know, ways of, of changing the, the but, software but on those networks. Is that a uh, sufficient reason to ban them now? No, no. It, I don't think so. That's, not. that's a theoretical. I, I just, of course, there's, a, there's all sorts of theoretical hazards. Uh, children so, so children could suddenly all yeah. eat Tide Pods. But uh, those are all theoretical. And I don't think you can ban something based on a, a theory. I, I don't, you know, Shoshana, I, I would suspect you and I are going to agree on this. Look, I'm a progressive. I'm on the left. I'm also someone who's an engineer. I'm deeply pragmatist. I'm interested in building things. There's a generational disconnect that I've noticed with younger leftists um, that America is always in the wrong for everything. We are an evil imperialist power. Our cops are all POSs. 
that want to do nothing other than to you know slaughter people of color in the streets. Uh, communism is the best answer, and uh, capitalism is the answer to every single problem that the United States fit, faces. That is a swear to God honest assessment of the mindset of a lot of younger people, and it's not. It's not to say I don't I mean, agree it's, it's, with many of those issues. I thought it was I, all true. I think, that, <laughs> I think there's a more nuanced discussion okay, to be yeah. had. <laughs> and I think that TikTok, I think if you look at political TikTok, there's certainly a section of that that could amp that up and show that to a generation of people over and over and over and over. Well, and just like, Other tic, just like YouTube, YouTube could do. and It does with white supremacy, right. 100%. Right. It's the exact same threat. Right. So my only argument here is that we, we solve that? ban it. How do we solve we've got to take it more seriously. Reg- regular, exactly. I agree. It's a serious problem. So we got to solve it. You're doing something interesting in Finland. Uh, we should mention Patrick is French, but he lives in Finland. New York Times had an article how Finland is teaching a generation to spot misinformation. Is it possible to do something with the consumers instead of regulating the providers? Well, I think both need to happen. Um, and we, we tend to talk a lot about uh, the very, very necessary uh, uh, you know, part, which is making sure the, the providers do their job. And by the way, the difference between YouTube and TikTok, the concern here with TikTok is what if ByteDance controlled by China has their, you know, a, a shortcut to get into TikTok. That's a very different discussion from however imperialistic the U.S. is and however much it controls YouTube. But setting that aside, um, yes, platforms should do a better job and we should push them through political action to do a better job. But also, I think it's important to educate uh, uh, the, the, the populace, and that starts in school. Um, Finland has a high media literacy rate, including uh, social media and internet in general. Um, and it comes from a very serious and real danger, which is, I think, the world has been made aware of <laughs> much more, more clearly um, in the past year, uh, which is the neighbor to the east. And so the whole country has always been aware and always been very um, active in fighting uh, propaganda and, and fake news as it is financed by, um, by Russia. And oh, that shows real as well in Finland, there. isn't it? Yeah, your neighbor to the, yes. to the east. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. That yeah. motivates a huge amount, as it does for, you know, all neighboring countries of, of sure. Russia. But it mod- motivates a huge amount of even the Finnish identity, who, who the Finnish are. Yeah. Um, but so part of, of, the, of the importance of making sure you're not essentially overrun and conquered is making sure that people understand what fake news and propaganda is. And it does start in school. Um, this, this is the, the media literacy index, which ranks a number of countries in, uh, in Europe, uh, uh, in Europe primarily, but not only Europe. And Finland does uh, rank highest in that index because you have, a lot of uh, teachers that are taking it, well, not upon themselves, it's part of the curriculum, but uh, in junior high, you start discussing uh, 
social media and how it can be used and what news mean and not just social media like actual news how it means where it comes from who's publishing it why one might uh, share that kind of opinion um and it it works you know it's just it, it's an important part of how you become a literate citizen and it's something that everyone should be paying attention to I, there's a lot to say there, but I do want to mention an interesting aspect of that study. Um, in, in Europe, there are four big groups. The northern country mostly are uh, well-ranked. They're in the first cluster. Then you have a second cluster, which is essentially uh, France, Spain, Germany, etc. Third cluster, which is less well-ranked, uh, Italy, Hungary, a couple of those. And then you have a couple of other clusters which are even worse ranks. I have a question for, for, for you. Um, Finland is the highest ranked. It's six, it has 76 points. Um, usually they're around 70 for the northern countries. France is at 58, uh, 58 points. And that's still in the good, you know, second cluster. So pretty good. People have a pretty good handle on uh, what things mean and what they, uh, uh, you know, how to spot fake news, essentially. I wonder if you could... Do you know what the U.S. is? Where the U.S. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> All right. They have a few countries outside the, the uh, outside of Europe. Would you guess where the U.S. ranks? That's an interesting question. Uh, <laughs> it's tempting to say we're terrible. <laughs> I feel like we're not so bad. I feel like we'd be in the 50s. Close okay. to France. We better be as good as France. <laughs> I'm going to guess in the 40s, maybe. Okay. Shoshana? I know it's weird that I'm being the pessimist here, but I'm, I was going to guess 30s. <laughs> I think Shoshana okay. might be right. Um, I think that's why something that my, my, my friend Tom Merritt always says, you need data and you need studies right. because our, our opinions and, and yeah. biases We're can be very at guessing. Yeah. The U.S. actually ranks, I don't know how, you know, that it is a very official study. It's right. a very serious thing, but uh, I don't know how well it measures things. But the U.S. ranks two points above France. Uh-huh. It's 60 and France is 58. Oh, yeah. I knew we were so, better than France. I knew it. <laughs> and and I, I was, I, I, I'm guilty as well. I was surprised that France was in the second cluster at 58, you yeah. know, better. I would have said we have so much disinformation about vaccines and even the war in, in, in that's what Ukraine. makes us good and that's what makes us good we have lots of practice i guess <laughs> and i you know i think this is one thing that people misunderstand about the united states it's not a majority uh that is polarized that is crazed is QAnon or whatever this is a small minority it's a loud minority but it's not a big majority um even though Trump got 70 million votes uh, in the last election, uh, I think the true believers are far or half that at best. So I'm not surprised. I actually really, and then by the way, two points is probably well within the margin of error. So let's say we tied France. <laughs> Just to be fair, we'll tie France. I'm not surprised. I mean, I, I, I'm not surprised Finland's better at it because as you say, there's a more immediate threat. Uh, it is an incredibly unifying, yeah. uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, well, life threat. And, Nor- and Nordic <laughs> nations are somewhat more homogeneous, aren't they? Too. I mean, that's another issue. There is. Well, 
one thing I will say is that the middle class is much larger in at least Finland. I don't know so much about. We used to have a good middle uh, class, uh, Sweden. It's dwindling. That feels like it's something that is a, a yeah. an issue, um, yeah. and that in many ways uh, it is. Uh, and well, it's all, not only amazingly great things. Finland is is very much anti-immigration. Everyone's. Well, not everyone, but there are a lot of a lot of people you know where they came from. Meeting, uh, they're translucent and white, and they have blonde <laughs> hair, and they're from Finland. Uh, you don't see a lot of, of immigrants. Lot of Which people. again, you know, I, I was saying it's it's coming from uh, issues with Russia. If you open the borders, it's kind right. of difficult to say. Right. Uh, anyway, that's a different story. But so it's line, a very different world, and school. and so it's hard school to grade is it. important to educate yeah. people. Yeah, about yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah. It's hard to grade it. Uh, I want to take a little bit of a, of a break. We have lots more uh, to talk about, including big layoffs in big tech. Uh, and you had a story of how Apple has avoided those layoffs. Kind of interesting. But also, I think it's interesting to see where the layoffs are happening, especially in AR and VR. We'll talk about, we had Connie Guglielmo, the editor-in-chief of CNET on last week, talked a little bit about the AI-powered articles at CNET. It's turning out to be a little bit more of a scandal than uh, we thought. We'll talk about that. And it is a very big birthday for one of the most important computers uh, of all time. That and more coming up in just a little bit with our wonderful panel, Shoshana. Uh, it's so nice to have you, uh, Shoshana Weissman from uh, R Street. Uh, she is Senator Weissman. I'm sorry, Senator Shoshana on the Twitter. One uh, one letter in SOS. S-H-O-S-H-A-N-A. Shoshana. Very easy. But there are two S's and two N's in Weissman, so that's confusing. But that's why Senator Shoshana. And congratulations on your continued work with the sloth community. Thank you. I've been very thankful to serve for as long as I have. Yes. Sloths need friends in in the world. I, I think we can all agree on that. Uh, also, Patrick, <laughs> just go to her web, go to her Twitter. You'll see what I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> uh, Patrick Bejan, not Patrick.com. Uh, so many podcasts in so many languages. His command uh, of uh, English is amazing. He's a French native francophone, right? But you also, I presume, speak Swedish, uh, Finnish by now, right? Which is not an easy language. Yeah. No, I, I speak Swedish. My my wife is part of the Swedish-speaking minority oh. of this bilingual country. Okay. So much easier to learn Swedish. I'm very yeah, thankful Finnish is just a little tricky and a little <sighs> Japanese, which would help you with, this, with the Finnish, I would think, but maybe not. I don't know. What do I know? Le rendez-vous tech, le rendez-vous jeu, super laser punch. I love saying that. And uh, all the rest. Great to have you, Patrick. And of course, the wonderful Brianna Wu, speedrunner. I'm wishing you all the luck in the uh, in the contest much. next month. That's very very exciting. Do you know what days you'll be competing? Like what days we should watch? Yo, it's on my schedule. I think it's that Tuesday. Okay. Uh, I need to. I've been so focused on just making sure I can get through that 11 minutes without screwing it up. So you're so practicing. That's my focus. Like you're pra- do you do it every 100%. day now? Every day. The Princess Peach speedrun. Yeah. Princess Peach speedrun. This is such an embarrassing thing to be obsessed with, but you know, it's my skill, so I'm going to go with it. If, you Which know, game is it, though? Super Mario 2. Okay, 2. We're all good, good at one. something. And in your case, <laughs> it's a little weird, but uh, that's good. A little bit. That's good. 
uh, our show today. <laughs> yeah, I, I was just showing. This is old. This is from 2005, these Super Princess Peach uh, uh, scores. But uh, which, so you, is this an old, this is not a DS game. That's really. a different game. That's yeah. the DS version. Yeah. This is an interesting one where uh, uh, Mario gets kidnapped and Princess Peach has to go save him. Oh, so, no wonder uh, you I'm like it. on that one. No wonder. <laughs> now I understand. And you are, you can watch uh, a YouTube of this, right? Hundred percent. Where what where is that? Uh let's see, you can uh I think the easiest way is to go to speedrun.com, look at the records for Super Mario Advance, and I'm right there, or the uh Super Mario All Stars. I hold uh records on all those categories. She's amazing. Uh thank you very much, all three of you. It's wonderful to have you, and boy, are you thoughtful and smart. I love that. I really appreciate that. Our show today brought to you by Express. VPN, there is a way, frankly, to protect yourself against overreaching governments, intrusive ISPs, and big tech companies that want to sell your information. It's a good VPN. Is it a little weird? It is to me that the same company that controls half of online retail is also passively eavesdropping on your private conversations at home. You know what I'm talking about, right? Hello? What about the idea that a single company controls 90% of internet searches and runs your email service and uh, maybe tracks everything you do on your smartphone? <laughs> the, 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 this is a bigger problem than you might imagine because instead of one signal, they get signals from a variety of sources, which allows them to build an amazing dossier all about you. Big tech is more powerful nowadays than most countries, and they profit by exploiting your personal data. Time to put a layer of protection between your online activity and those tech juggernauts and all the other people want to spy on you, the data brokers who are buying your information from your Internet service provider and your cell phone carrier. Protect yourself with a good VPN. And when it comes to VPNs, there's only one I use. There's only one I trust, ExpressVPN. And that's because I've really looked into this. The thing about a VPN is, yeah... You're protecting yourself against those immediate threats, but in a way, you're just kicking the can down the road. You've got to trust the VPN provider, and no one does more to protect your privacy than ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN's VPN servers are all over the world, so that means you can surf to any country in the world. I was able to, when we were in Mexico, watch Thursday Night Football because I told Amazon Prime we were in Miami and from their point of view, we were, thanks to ExpressVPN. So that's a big benefit. But ExpressVPN also uses a custom Debian distribution on all their servers that wipes itself and the whole hard drive every single day. Reboot, wipe, start over. And as if that weren't enough, their trusted server technology, which they created, runs in RAM sandboxed. It can't write to the hard drive. So when you push that big button on your ExpressVPN app, on Windows, Mac, Linux, Android, iOS, wherever you are, you're spinning up a server in that memory that can't write to the drive, and as soon as you disconnect, it goes away with no trace of your visit. Now, that's privacy. ExpressVPN isn't a free VPN, but I would submit that's okay. That's good. You want to support them because it's expensive to run those servers. It's expensive to rotate the IP addresses, so you always have a fresh IP address. It's expensive to have that custom server software, but it's only it's less than seven bucks a month. I think that's a fair price to pay for the best VPN service. One hundred percent of your data, of course, is encrypted. That keeps you safe at open hotspots and anywhere bad guys could snoop on what you're up to. 
More than that, ExpressVPN does this without slowing your connection. They invest in speed. That's why it's rated number one by CNET and Wired and Tech Radar and countless others is why I use it. You can run it anywhere, including your router. Run it on your router, and you're not going to get any complaints from people saying, oh, you know, oh, it's slowed down, it's sluggish. No, they won't even know. In fact, I can't tell you how many times I've left ExpressVPN on and forgotten about it for weeks. One of the best things is it's easy to use. Download the app on your phone, your computer. Tap one button, that big button, you're protected. Stop handing over personal information to those spy companies that mine your activity and sell your information. The big tech monopoly. Protect yourself with the VPN I trust to keep me safe online. Express VPN. Go to expressvpn.com slash twit. Sign up for a one-year package. That's the best deal. You get an extra three months, 15 months for the price of 12. Brings it down well under seven bucks a month. It's a great deal. Expressvpn.com slash twit. Thank you, ExpressVPN, for the job you do and uh, for supporting all of our uh, shows. And thank you for supporting the show by using that address, expressvpn.com slash twit. I have been asked, Patrick, to have you pronounce sauna. <laughs> Is there a special way Finns say sauna? Well, I think um, it would be sauna. Sauna? Is so, that the Swedish way sauna. or the Finnish way? It's kind of a similar. Okay. I, maybe some Finns will want to murder me if I say that. But uh, yeah, it feels kind of similar. Okay. Sauna. Sauna. Um, There's nothing wrong that with that. Different. That's fine. No. Sauna. Do you like, do you have a sauna at home? I do not. What kind and of? That is a great shame for the family. Yes. Um, <laughs> what kind of Finnish family are you? Oh, it's those Swedes we, again. We, we live in a very old house. Well, very old. I mean, it's a hundred years old. Um, and there is a sauna by the by the water oh, right. over there, which you can't see. So you can go to um, it's just it's not been uh, the the house was abandoned for a long time. Not yeah. abandoned, but not really used. Uh, and the sauna stopped working when we moved in. It was like it hadn't been used in in thirty or forty years, almost. Wow. Um, regularly. So the sauna was not our first priority to fix. Feels and like also, I don't really like it. So You don't I'm like sitting in a hot box local. and sweating? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's exactly how we say it in Mississippi. Sauna. Sauna. Go over to the y'all, sauna. Y'all, y'all. going to sit in the sauna and then do the cold plunge? No. Got some hickory sticks to whip you with? No. Not going to do it. Mm-mm. I'll give you some uh, notes later, Leo. Okay, thank you very much. Close, close, close. <laughs> you know, one of my goals in life, maybe when I have more time, is to learn the various southern dial, southern regional visits. Because Mississippi's one, Carolina's another one, Texas is a third, Florida's another one. There, are, You're nodding, Shoshana. Where, are you from uh, the south? Oh, no, but I started to pick up on the little dialects. Yeah. People can never figure out where I'm from until I say water. And then they're like, oh, you know, oh mid-Atlantic, like, mid-Atlantic. <laughs> she has the water, water. Microsoft, uh, Apple, actually Apple, no layoffs at Apple. Microsoft, Amazon, Google, Google's cutting 12,000 jobs. Microsoft, 11,000. Uh, Amazon, I think 15,000. Big layoffs. Most of these... Uh, are in the face of massive hiring over the pandemic, in some cases doubling the size of these companies. So they're, you know, uh, I mean, look, I feel for you if you got laid off. 
it's uh, it's horrible. In fact, I'm seeing a lot of Googlers who I saw one guy tweet that he's been there for 20 years, and jump, boom, you're done. Uh, that's horrible. But it is kind of understandable if you doubled your 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 team in in three years that you might want to trim it down as times get a little bit tougher. What I find interesting is where the layoffs are happening. So Microsoft laid off the entire team behind virtual mixed reality and HoloLens, according to Windows Central. Uh, that's very telling. Microsoft with HoloLens had kind of a lead in mixed reality. Uh, Alex Kipman, who led the team and kind of left in disgrace, is gone. And it seems that with him, uh, the spirit and the spunk have departed from uh, the HoloLens team. By the way, Congress has now told the Army, you can't buy any more of those. <laughs> you can't get it. You know, <laughs> there was somebody in the Army, I can't remember his name, who loved HoloLens and was really pushing it. Congress has now said, yeah, no, that's not, that's not going to happen. Isn't uh, it crazy that all of them dumped all this money into this technology and no one was able to bring a successful product to market? I mean, Oculus, HoloLens. Uh, magically. The, uh, magic Lens. Uh, magic magically. Leap, yeah. I mean, it's not for a, a lack of putting money into it. Facebook ton, put, made us, dumped made tons put of money. $10 billion dollars a year yeah. into it. Uh, Why is it, it so hard to bring this to market? I don't is it hard it. or that nobody really wants it, really? I think it's that they have not. It is a technology looking for a problem to yes. solve, and they have not found that problem yes. yet. But there's got to be something. There's got to be something. <laughs> like, I, 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 oh, crazy. Mike, I think there's also an, an issue. An issue. If we're talking about AR, I think that the technology wasn't ready. Um, it's it's very clunky. But if you start like VR and AR try to solve very different problems um, and AR could be a, a really interesting application of the general area of uh, technology, but the, the, the headsets were very clunky and still are um, where it becomes useful is when you can actually use it and it's wireless, uh, you know, wireless enough, let's say we're not there yet from the technology standpoint, which is of course what, makes what uh, Apple might do at some point really interesting because maybe they're waiting for the technology to be there. Although they they have apparently canceled their uh, super lightweight AR only um, headset, which was planned for, what was it, 2025? 20, so maybe even they think it's not going to go anywhere. Apple, according to Mark uh, German at Bloomberg, delays AR glasses, plans cheaper mixed reality uh, headset. The thing that would worry me if I were Apple, I'd be looking at Microsoft and, and Meta, who are, you know, kind of the leaders in this, and the struggles that they're having, and start to wonder, am I putting too much money into yeah. this AR yeah. space? Yeah, I, I agree. I, I actually thought 2023 was going to be the make or break year for VR, specifically. AR is a slightly different story. But uh, Meta, it doesn't seem is breaking through. And the bigger um, bad sign, I think, is what PlayStation is doing with PSVR 2, which is prohibitively expensive. I don't think you price a product at 600 bucks 
uh, if you want to make it into a, a viable, you know, it's an add-on to the PlayStation 5, which is already 500. It's more expensive than the console itself. So if you want to get both, it's prohibitive. And, and the lineup is, I mean, it's not horrible, but you don't have, they didn't put a lot of work into, um, exclusives which would sell the platform so i think they're going to be making money on sell selling the device but they're not looking to uh, have a strong installed base which will be a, a significant market for them in the future that's how i'm reading the tea leaves here the the product is great but i don't know that it is the breakthrough vr product that i was kind of hoping would be needed to make vr break into a uh, uh, like between Facebook or Oculus and this would be, okay, now VR is here. And looking at both of those, I'm like, well, it's kind of like it has been for a while. It's a little bit better, but I don't think it's going to The only through. area this has succeeded in is gaming. I mean, I could see why PlayStation might think that that's their best bet. Microsoft and Meta of late both have focused on productivity which seems nuts to me. I, why would anybody want to go put on a helmet and get into a Teams meeting is beyond Yeah, me. I remember that. And like the lack of legs, I was like, and then they put the fake legs on to pretend they had <laughs> legs. Like that's not a great place to be. But something Brianna said, I think really hit me where it's just like, it's like in search of a in search of a problem. Yeah. Like it's a solution in search of a problem. And I'm sure that it'll be useful down the line. But I've kind of I'm taken- not. I'm not sure it'll it be really? useful down the line. I think it's a gimmick. Nobody wants it. It makes a certain percentage, around 11% of people, sick to their stomachs. That's not a good look for a consumer product. Uh, I, I just, don't know. You don't want to be sick? I don't know. <laughs> All it takes is one person in a family to say, you know, this is, I'm getting, <laughs> and that's it. You know, throw it out. I'm not going to do it. Um then there's, of course, the the more, more speculative, and I guess you could push this use of it as augmented reality, where if if only Apple could invent a way to make it look like regular spectacles and you put it on and you don't look like a complete dork and you can see what's going on, but you're getting a heads-up display on the world around you, I could see that maybe, and it wouldn't make you nauseous, I don't think. Uh, and, you, you know, it'd be useful. wouldn't be specifically for productivity. Trying to do... This to a menu, I'm booking, bopping my finger in this weird gesture that you use is terrible. It's a terrible experience. Sliding windows around, Tom Cruise notwithstanding. I, it's, it's a, because it's it doesn't work said. well enough. It doesn't work well enough. Because I, I think the science fiction Ready Player One version of VR still has promise. Um, but we're definitely not there yet. Well, but essentially... I think it has promise, but you'd have to have a special treadmill that <laughs> <Let> you <laughs> run in various directions. No, not, not going that far. That's not the Ready Player One look. I think yes, well, no, until you course. can jack a, th a cable into the back of your head, like in Neuromancer, I don't, I don't know, and I don't see that being. By the way, this is another one of Elon's exciting technologies, Neuralink. Uh, I'm not going to be the first in line to get my brain modified by Elon Musk. Oh, God. That's a whole thing. I've been studying uh, Neuralink a lot lately and all the problems it has. No, but, uh, you know, I, I think the threat to Apple actually bringing this to market is a lot bigger than I think people are considering. Look at what's happened to Meta, 
right? Like Mark Zuckerberg comes forward, puts this big uh, future vision forward for the company where it's uh, basically betting on this technology. It doesn't seem to have come to fruition and it's destroyed the stock price and cost people their jobs. Uh, I think it's not an exaggeration to say it's uh, limiting Facebook's uh, ability to attract uh, engineers to their team. And uh, it, it's really put the future of Facebook into question. You know, the storyline for many of us with Apple for a long time has been, look, this new AR thing is coming. It's going to be like the iPhone all over again. They're going to hit it out of the park and this is going to be the next 20 years of computing, just like the desktop was 20 years of computing and the mobile phone was 20 years of computing. Everyone is failing at this though. And gamers, we are the people that are going to adopt this first. You know, I've played some PlayStation VR games. I've got every single headset that exists because I've done VR development. It's not a place I spend time when I game generally. It's just not. It's never going to be. So I I think the stakes for Apple in bringing forward a product to market, that's just another pleasant distraction. I think there are very real concerns about what that can do to their stock price and their ability to attract talent. Our son, Michael, who uh, is 19 and loves VR, currently is playing that, I guess it's a Madden game where you can be the quarterback in a, in a team. And I see him st- standing in front of the TV with his headset on going like this a lot. He's throwing a lot of, <laughs> throwing a lot of passes. But he, he, he likes it. It keeps him somewhat engaged. We got the Oculus Pro, the $1,600 meta, because I wanted to say, well, mm-hmm. what's the best out there? And uh, if that's the best we can do, it's not particularly compelling Maybe there are a lot of people who like vr there are a lot of people i don't think it's enough to make a market no no it's not that's the it, it, no, well it is a market it's just not it's a not big a, market and certainly not an apple-sized market but yeah. uh, you know uh, i think it would be foolish for all, any of us to to uh dismiss apple out of hand they have succeeded where many companies have failed repeatedly in the years before they brought their thing to market. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll never know uh, before they actually put it out. They have failed at a couple of things. Yeah. Um, but I They're think bringing back AR the giant is- home pod. I thought that was hysterical. Here's a $300 <laughs> single speaker, 300 bucks. That's 600 bucks. If you want to do a speaker pair that has Siri in it, that they discontinued two years ago saying nobody wants to pay 400 bucks, 300 bucks for this. And they brought it. They just brought it back last week. And in euros, it's more expensive than the first one. <laughs> yeah, and there. I mean, I don't understand that one anyway. You put in an article, which I think was an interesting article from the Wall Street Journal, talking about how Apple is not doing layoffs. And what I think is most telling is the is the number of hires that happened between September 2019 and last September of last year. Facebook grew 94%, almost doubled in size. Google, 57%. Microsoft, 53%. Massive hiring. Meanwhile, Apple only grew 20%. And by itself, that would explain, you know, why it's not having to fire people. Um, The article also says not having gourmet free lunches. (laughs) Which is, by the way, the first thing Elon killed at Twitter. He sold all the all the kitchen gear. Uh, so Apple is maybe being more fiscally prudent, but we had heard rumors that they were transferring people from Mac and uh, iOS divisions over to the AR division. 
uh, trying to get that business off the ground. I guess it makes sense if you're Apple. You've got a single product that's almost half, I think a little more than half of your entire revenue, the iPhone. And that's not going to last forever. It's getting saturated. It's really important for you to figure out what's next, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's a smart thing to do. You know, you you see companies just kind of rise and die. And I think that they're actively trying not to do that is really smart. Um, related also, I'm not sure if you guys knew, but they have a, a $100 thermometer. I was buying a new one. Apple does? Yeah, I, I was. I have an Apple gift card. I'm like, my friend told me they had a thermometer, and I'm like, this is five times the price of like a normal thermometer. Oh, but I'm it's like, got an Apple logo it on it. <laughs> I've been like, I'm trying to understand, like, is this a special thermometer? Like, can I do anything that I can't do with it? Does to, it to be fair to my iPhone? To be fair, it is made by uh, Why Things, not Apple. They sell it. Um, oh, okay. It, it's oh, a, I thought it's it was a, Apple. It's a temporal thermometer. It lets you take the temperature of your current. A uh, time state or something. Hmm. I don't know where you are, which dimension <laughs> you're. No, this is one of those things you put to your forehead and it gives you color coded fever indicators. These are, the, I just that's look awesome. at these and I go, that's going to break. Oh, yeah. That's going to break. I'm going to lose it I'm gonna immediately. Lose it. Blood, <laughs> the blood pressure one they sold is pretty good. Frankie's I actually have a lot of why things. I have a why things scale, why things blood pressure cuff, uh, why things. Other stuff, I can't remember what it is. Why things showed at CES a little egg you put in your toilet to to, to test your pee. So they're really expanding, I think, into new, uh, exciting new. <laughs> Apple you, uh, is not I have that. some questions about that egg, just super quick. Like, yeah, sure. uh, do you do you have to use the same one? Is it a set of eggs, or is and you like do you can, flush that egg? Or no, first of all, don't flush it. I think it's attached. I ask the same questions. I don't blame you, Shoshana. <laughs> it can distinguish different people's pee. And it, and it, oh my god! And it can distinguish between pee and toilet water, so you don't have to worry about that. And uh, it can do a lot of different things, like vitamin deficiencies. I imagine the biggest market for this will be companies that want to pee test their employees at all times. Uh, yeah. But uh, maybe there'll be a home uh, market. There, certainly, the quantified self is a very big uh, business. It seems like it would be. It could be medically useful. Yes, I think you're right. Um, yeah, but yeah. but there's probably a reason why Apple is not, you know, is looking into AR and VR and not that area of tech. Um, size of market might be one, but, but I no, I think it's smart that Apple is looking into. I mean, obviously, it's smart. They 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 understand they have disrupted uh, many markets and uh, they, they understand that one. they're not above yeah. being disrupted themselves i think what uh facebook is doing is smart the way they're going about it is not very smart yeah. staking the whole company on this and being so public and doing it research at least somewhat secret or you know mentioning okay we're looking into this but that's the way apple and most companies usually do it right and you know microsoft was trying it out they didn't say all of a sudden well goodbye everything else we were doing we're now the whole lens company you know it's it's anyway um, i mean let's be very very clear on this you know if apple never brings this to market we are all going to have won something very very important there are a host of apple technologies that they've developed and released at every single state of the union they're tremendously tremendously helpful 
10 years ago, Apple did not even have a real 3D uh, building API uh, in Xcode, something that was a professional tool game developers could use. That exists today. It's good. There's all kinds of spatial recognition stuff that the developers can use. So the entire, you know, the unified development stack that Apple has is much better off today for all this R&D Apple has poured into this project. And, and that's a win. I just think if we're looking at, if you ask me today, you put a gun to my head and said, Brian, what do you think is the next 20 years of computing? What technology are you going to bet on? It's not AR, VR. I'm going to bet on chat GP, uh, chat GPT yeah. and uh, yeah, that kind it. of AI. That. Yeah. that stuff I could see using every single day. My husband, uh, he has four Hugo Awards for science fiction. He was working on a new, uh, a new uh, writing project. And Frank's problem is it's so hard for him to write that first draft. Right. So he entered it into chat GPT, had it generate something. It was terrible. It was generic, but it was a place for him to go through and then start writing it was an outline for him to then start shaping into something that was actually very good. That is a useful tool that you could build into Word or Pages. Like there are a million well, Microsoft applications. apparently is doing that. They yeah. uh, they uh, were a big investor in OpenAI, the creators of ChatGPT, and the rumors are going to put $10 billion into it and are going to incorporate it into Office. But that's just one of many. It's really interesting how quickly people are coming up with ways to use this. Uh, yeah. One of many, many uses, including in search, uh, document summaries, language translation, computer programming. We are really, it's a very interesting uh, time. It's, oh, isn't that, And that's a good example of how it's so hard to predict what's going to change the world. And you're, you, if Meta had put $10 billion a year into that, they might have a lot more to show for it, <laughs> right? Uh, but you just sometimes I mean, you pick the wrong horse. It's, uh, you know, I think when we look back, uh, 2022 is the year that we will have talked about Elon Musk way too much. But really, the important part of it, the important part of that year tech wise is certainly generative AI. Absolutely. And we started talking about it with, you know, it was Lambda, uh, interestingly, right. with that uh, engineer that thought it right. had become conscious. Yeah. So it's a Google product. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but they got scooped. And by then you AI. had uh, yeah. Dali, Dali two that right. arrived, and right. then uh, Mid Journey. So it was images first, and now ChatGPT. It's 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 funny because it has been bubbling. It's one of those things, AI in general, which is a big you know umbrella word. But it's it's like it's almost like a cold fusion. You know, it's oh, not cold fusion. Sorry, fusion um, in general, which is like it's always five years away or 10 years away. And we're like, okay, you've been saying it's like better batteries or it, you've been saying that for 20 years. We don't believe someday and AI someday. has been in development. Yeah. Yeah. It's been in, in, in development, like if for, for at least 15 years with those, you know, GN and, and that those kinds of networks. And now all of a sudden 2022, it started working, not just as proof of concept or working. on tiny, you know, images thumbnail images no it's amazing it started really working yeah. and it's absolutely going to change everything and we're only at chat gpt like gpt3 or 3.5 yeah. imagine gpt20 right it's all of a sudden even if there are issues huge issues with it with accuracy and uh, uh um uh copyright and a lot of problems that have to be figured out 
it will be incredibly useful for so many things. And it made Siri obsolete and Google Assistant obsolete in three weeks. You're like, okay, I want this to be my virtual assistant, not the dumb one that doesn't know what I'm asking for. It's, yeah, definitely the tw next one. I got to ask you as a comic guy, one of the big departments that got axed at Amazon is Comixology. Oh. That's not good. Well, I mean, Comixology has been uh, transformed since the purchase by Amazon. Um, it's, uh, the, the, I guess many people would tell you, I think it's, it's doing okay. It's a, a viewer now more than it, right. anything else. You can't really purchase anything on Comixology. Um, I think Comixology was already toast, kind of, for most people who liked it. Um, is but there, you don't is have there a another lot of choice? Alternatives. Yeah. Not really. You can go to Marvel directly or DC, which were, I, I guess, Comixology uh, licensed their app tech to them um, because it was really the same app with a skin. I don't know if, if Amazon put a stop to that, but no, there, there isn't really an alternative. It's Comixology or, or nothing. They have the whole market. I guess um, with Marvel having its own platform, that's got to have eaten a, a little bit away from the uh, Comixology future. Maybe, maybe Comixology... As in Amazon envisioned, it was pretty much done. It's just a viewer of comic books, and and it's just yeah. They sell everything on on uh, on Amazon itself. Yeah. But if you if you want to buy stuff, because everything Marvel is available on Comicsology. So if you're going to buy it, I don't think you want to buy it on Marvel's platform. Ah. Um, you want to buy it on Comicsology because okay. then you also have on the same platform DC and you know a lot of manga as well, um, which for many people is very important. I bought a bunch of manga on Comixology. It worked really well through Amazon directly. Um, so you don't want to go to Marvel because you're restricting yourself to buying the, the stuff on a platform right. that doesn't have everything. So. Um, we talked to Connie Guglielmo, editor-in-chief, last week. She was on the panel about these AI-written articles, 75 of them written in mostly uh, CNET's um, uh, fi family finance articles that were kind of, she said, it's the articles that no reporter wants to write. And uh, Cena has said the AI generated it and then humans reviewed it. Um, the Verge has been a little bit more critical of all this. I, I, I thought, well, that's reasonable. Um, and there is a technology which people have been critical of, and I don't think for any good reason where... Uh, uh, financial numbers are inserted into financial articles automatically. That's no big deal. Uh, but Mia Sato and James Vincent writing at The Verge say that something maybe a little bit more malign is going on. Because remember CNET, which was bought by um, CBS for some billions of dollars. Uh, and uh, let's see, they uh, then they sold it to Red Ventures, an equity capital firm for... Uh, a quarter of what they paid for it. Uh, and as often happens when these equity capital firms come along, they, they start to focus on profits. They're usually purchases that are driven heavily by debt and they need money. And it looks like maybe some of this automated content generation <clears throat> is related to the old SEO farm, the content farms. This was big, I don't know, 10 years ago when people noticed, well, See, uh, you go to Google and you search for belt buckles. <coughs> you, 
you're, if you have an article about belt buckles, <laughs> which no one in the world wants to write, you're going to get those hits. And then you can have affiliate links on there selling belt buckles and make a lot of money. I remember uh, when uh, Google uh, uh, kind of ended up clobbering these content farms. But maybe the way to do it is to buy an established brand like CNET and start creating mm -hmm. a lot of stories using AI, quickly, cheaply generated stories to do this. And this Don't is, you think there's kind of a long-term cost to that, though, Leah? Like, well, if I'm debases, on your network... It debases yeah. the brand. But that, remember, that's, that's yeah. the problem with these equity capital companies. They don't care. Right. It seems like it's something that could work in the short term. Like, if I click on a, a podcast on your network... I know every single time, like the host is going to be very knowledgeable. I know there's going to be a certain journalistic standard. I know there's going to be a certain like level of decorum and, you know, uh, like journalistic standards to it. Right. You could switch over tomorrow to having like chat GPT. Like, yeah. We'd make a lot of money for a year until everybody figured right. it out. And then, they, then we'd have a hundred percent. But that's what equity capital companies do. They squeeze 100%. the value out of a company till the company is a, a husk of itself. And then they throw it away. That would be very sad if that's what happens to CNET. Uh, this is the this is from the Verge article. Red Ventures, the current owner's business model, is straightforward and explicit. It publishes content designed to rank highly in Google search for quote high intent queries, and then monetizes that traffic with lucrative affiliate links. Uh, in addition to CNET, Red Ventures bought the Point Sky, Bankrate, and CreditCards.com, all of which monetize through credit card affiliate fees. And in fact, the CNET AI stories at the center of the controversy are exactly this strategy. Can you buy a gift card with a credit card is one. What is Zelle and how does it work is another. Uh, now, uh, uh, it's funny. Lindsay Tarantine, who was a regular on this show until she became a, a higher up in the, in the hierarchy, and Connie Guglielmo, who has been on the show many times, uh, I have huge respect for. Many of my friends work at CNET. But I don't know these Red Venture guys, and I'm really starting to think that this is really what's going on at CNET. And uh, and a, a lot of the uh, – CNET's now directing questions to Lance Davis, vice president of content at Red Ventures. And it's my guess this that this is who's driving this SEO farming. And that might, in fact, be the end game for CNET. And that would be very sad. Yeah. I mean, those articles that no one wants to write, that that's what you train junior reporters on, right? right? right. That's how they become good reporters. So using you know, I don't have I, a problem with AI writing stories, but if sure. the, if the entire goal of the site is to generate affiliate uh links and, and uh via SEO, that's you're you you nailed it. It's the it's over yeah. for that site. And yeah. uh I hope that's not the case at uh, CNET. One funny thing, uh, a couple of weeks ago, as ChatGPT was getting better, I saw it integrated with uh, Zapier. So I messaged my team. I'm like, oh, my gosh, guys, like we can <laughs> we can automate some stuff. And um, and I was saying, why don't we try and, and disclose it? But why don't we try one of these AI sites and have it write some of our press releases or, you know, some some content that's like not scholar written on our site? And uh, and I freaked out my colleague so much. She's not very tech savvy, which is fine. She's a normal human being. But she's like, Sean, you're freaking me out. Like, I don't want AI taking my job. This is too fast. I like this job. 
But it was so funny to watch everyone's reactions, but then also think through maybe there's some stuff that that we could use to expand. Maybe we try it on newsletters and stuff. So I'm, you know, it's it's sad to see people use it for bad, but of course people will always with tech, but it's kind of interesting. I'm curious what what good it can do if it can take pressure off of reporters who have to write seven stories and maybe they get a first draft from um, from it and then they go and put in their style and edit it something really good, but maybe parts of it are done for them. Not that we should having have reporters have to write 10 stories a day. Like that's not sustainable either, <laughs> but maybe they get something out of it. Maybe it makes some of the models. Um, sure. And look at how, look at how your husband's using it, Brianna. Frank's using it as just a, a, a kind of starting point. So no, I'm not against the, the AI. And in fact, to CNET's credit, they say now they've paused using AI written stories uh, entirely. So uh, maybe well, I think some, it's been, what are, Oh, go ahead. I, I just wanted to say what, I, what I'm, I don't know that I, I'm concerned about it, but I, I, what I'm thinking about is what happens to the, I guess we're circling back to the user-generated content version of the web, which is the one we live it now. What happens to it when content generation costs a hundredth? I don't want to be, I don't want to say it's got to be free, but a hundredth of what it is now. Like if you want to generate a, uh, an article about belt buckles, you can generate an article about every single piece of clothing or apparel in, in the world in all languages with three clicks or not three clicks, but, you know, in, in three days. And you can turn them into videos to put on YouTube and on TikTok and images on, on Instagram. And content becomes essentially a non-issue to create. I don't know, especially in a world where money on the web is, is happens through uh, display ads and ads in general. I don't know what that does to our uh, current version of the internet. It might not change it much. I think it, 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 it does have a, a huge impact. I don't know that it will be good or, or bad, um, but generating content that much more easily, it's almost for free kind of freaks me out a little bit because that's not step one. It, you know, it's not even step two. It's maybe step five in five or 10 years, maybe I think less than that, but it become it changes the nature of our, uh, uh, of our user experience on the web. One thing I can I'm guarantee a bit concerned about that. This is a story we'll be talking a lot about in the next few years. I mean, AI oh, yeah, everywhere, everywhere. I want to take a little break, and then we have some final uh, stories coming up in uh, just a little bit. Our show today uh, brought to you by viewers like you, our wonderful Club Twit members. I just want to put in a plug for Club Twit. It is a great place uh, to hang, but it's also a great way to support the Twit network. Club Twit is $7 a month, or you can get a yearly $84 a year packages also corporate memberships gives you ad-free versions of all of our shows uh gives you the twit plus feed which includes shows we don't put out anywhere else like hands-on macintosh with micah paul Thorat's hands-on windows the untitled linux show the giz fizz and more plus you get the fantastic discord which is a community of like-minded geeks that is so much fun You've been in there while we're doing the show. Brianna's been in there talking about restoring pinball machines, <laughs> which is great. Uh, I hang out talking about coding in there. 
We have uh, sections in the Discord to talk about pretty much anything geeks are interested in, including uh, books and booze and all sorts of things. We also have, thanks to our community manager, Aunt Pruitt, does a great job. A, uh, a lot of AMAs and fireside chats. Win2 Dow's coming up, host of All About Android. That'll be February 9th. We're going to do a very special triangulation episode. We'll start it in the club so club members can ask questions of Daniel Suarez, his new book, comes out this month, actually early uh, next month. It's going to be called Critical Mass, a sequel uh, to Delta V. I cannot wait. I got my advance copy. Daniel will be our guest on February 10th. It'll end up being a triangulation, but uh, club members will get early access uh, to that. We also have Samable Samed, our uh, car guy, coming up March 2nd. But that's just a sample. If you're not a member of the club, it supports us. It keeps the lights on, keeps our staff employed, helps us make new content. Please... Go to twit.tv slash club twit and uh, join the fun. I think it's worth it. Hey, everybody. Leo Laporte here. I am the founder and one of the hosts at the Twit Podcast Network. I want to talk to you a little bit about what we do here at Twit because I think it's unique. And I think for anybody who is uh, bringing a product or a service to a tech audience, you need to know about what we do here at Twit. We've built an amazing audience of engaged, intelligent, affluent listeners who listen to us and trust us when we recommend a product. Our mission statement is Twit is to build a highly engaged community of tech enthusiasts. Boy, already you should be your ears should be perking up at that because highly engaged is good for you. Tech enthusiasts, if that's who you're looking for, this is the place. We do it by offering them the knowledge they need to understand and use technology in today's world. And I hear from our audience all the time, part of that knowledge comes from our advertisers. We are very careful. We pick advertisers with great products, great services, with integrity, and introduce them to our audience with authenticity uh, and genuine enthusiasm. And that makes our host red ads different from anything else you can buy. We are literally bringing you to the attention of our audience and giving you a big fat endorsement. We like to create partnerships with trusted brands, brands who are in it for the long run, long term partners that want to grow with us. And we have so many great success stories. Tim Broom, who founded IT Pro TV in 2013, started advertising with us on day one, has been with us ever since. He said, quote, we would not be where we are today without the Twit Network. I think the proof is in the pudding. Advertisers like IT Pro TV and Audible that have been with us for more than 10 years, they stick around because their ads work. And honestly, isn't that why you're buying advertising? You get a lot with Twit. We have a very full-service attitude. We almost think of it as kind of artisanal uh, advertising, boutique advertising. You'll get a full-service continuity team. People who are on the phone with you, who are in touch with you, who support you from with everything from copywriting to graphic design. So you are not alone in this. We embed our ads into the shows. They're not... They're not added later. They're part of the shows. In fact, often they're such a part of our shows that our other hosts will chime in on the ad saying, yeah, I love that. Or just the other day, one of our hosts said, man, I really got to buy that. <laughs> That's an additional benefit to you because you're hearing people 
our audience trusts saying, yeah, that sounds great. Uh, we deliver, always over deliver on impressions. So, you know, you're going to get the impressions you expect. The ads are unique every time. We don't pre-record them and roll them in. We are genuinely doing those ads in the middle of the show. Uh, we'll give you great onboarding services. Ad tech with pod sites that's free for direct clients. Gives you a lot of reporting. Gives you a great idea of how well your ads are working. You'll get courtesy commercials. You actually can take our ads and share them across social media and landing pages. That really extends the reach. There are other free goodies too, including mentions in our weekly newsletter that's sent to thousands of fans engaged fans who really want to see this stuff we give you bonus ads and social media promotion too so if you want to be a long-term partner introduce your product to a savvy engaged tech audience visit twit.tv slash advertise check out those testimonials mark mccrary is the ceo of authentic you probably know him one of the biggest uh, original podcast advertising companies we've been with him for 16 years Mark said the feedback from many advertisers over 16 years across a range of product categories, everything from razors to computers, is that if ads and podcasts are going to work for a brand, they're going to work on Twitch shows. I'm very proud of what we do because it's honest, it's got integrity, it's authentic, and it really is a great introduction to our audience of your brand. Our listeners are smart, they're engaged, they're tech-savvy, they're dedicated to our network, and that's one of the reasons we only work with high-integrity partners that we've personally and thoroughly vetted. I have absolute approval on everybody. If you've got a great product, I want to hear from you. Elevate your brand by reaching out today at advertise at twit.tv. Break out of the advertising norm. Grow your brand with host red ads on twit.tv. Visit twit.tv slash advertise for more details, or you can email us, advertise at twit.tv. Dot TV if you're ready to launch your campaign now. I can't wait to see your product. So give us a ring. We had a great week this week on Twit. We got a little uh, mini movie to show you of some of the things you might have missed. Watch. Sound effect ready because Jamma B, we really actually have another two weeks in a row, another chat room celebrity of the week. <laughs> Maybe Patrick. Oh. 10 years ago I was on Gizfiz just before I started working for Twit. And so I've been working for Twit almost 10 years now. Previously on Twit, Mac Break Weekly. Lo and behold, just hours before airtime, Apple shipped new Macs. What? We have, uh, well, they announced them anyway. They're shipping them next week. We will have review units next week. New MacBooks, a new Mac Mini, a new Mac M2 Pro and Max. Tech News Weekly. First, we talked to Craig Hockenberry of the Icon Factory uh, and also the creator of the first Twitter app. And yeah, he's here to talk about the fact that Twitter has closed off uh, API access for some third party clients. The suspension has basically uh, kneecapped us, uh, and there, there's nothing we can do about it. Hands on photography. And yes, macro photography can be quite expensive. It, it adds up. Well, that's not the case today. I'm telling you right now, we're going to save you some money in the world of macro photography. You put and that I got lens a tool on backwards. Right here, and it's just going to work perfectly for you. Twit, unbelievable as always. <laughs> I can just see the Twitter comments. Hey, Pruitt, put the lens on wrong. That's how you do it. That's the magic. 
if you haven't uh, caught up on all of our shows this week, it was a good week to catch up on. And of course, Dick D. Bartolo uh, made his first appearance on uh, Ask the Tech Guys too. We're bringing, we're getting the band back together. This is the 40th anniversary of a computer that changed my life. It didn't exactly sell very well, but it kind of changed the world. The Lisa, the Ooh. Lisa came out January 19th, 1983, one year before the Macintosh. And I remember pressing my nose against the computer store window, looking at the Lisa, looking at the price tag. It wasn't as expensive as a 007 pinball machine, but uh, it was $10,000. And I just thought, oh, I wish I could get that. Uh, Apple surprised us all by releasing a much well, I yeah, much less expensive. I guess it was twenty five hundred bucks Macintosh with a very similar operating system uh, the very next year. But here's the really interesting news: the Computer History Museum, in conjunction with the fortieth anniversary, has posted the source code to the <gasps> Lisa software, including system and applications software. How do you like your Pascal, Brianna? I I know Pascal. That was the uh, the computers in Mississippi where I learned computer science. Were so old that uh, Turbo Pascal was my first language yeah. in nineteen ninety four. So I can do that. Yeah, I, I I originally wrote a lot of Mac software in uh, Pascal for the first Macintoshes. Uh, so you can download the, a zip file, which I just have done. I wish they'd put it on GitHub, but uh, okay. Uh, I've just downloaded uh, 20 megabytes of Lisa source code. That's all. <laughs> That's all. You couldn't get anything done in 20 megabytes. You couldn't have a text editor in 20 megabytes these days. Um, but here are all the files. If you, I think for somebody like you, uh, Brianna, this, this is, and somebody like me, this is heaven. This is, I love it. Do you is, ever look on eBay at the old leases and try to get one? Because no. I've been looking for years for one. They're still like, I was just looking $5,700 for a middling version of one. They so are not, so valuable. They're not any yeah. cheaper. No. Oh my gosh. That's a little disappointing. All right. Should we look at some uh, source code? What do you want to look at? Drivers? Uh, I want to find like, Bill Atkinson's quick draw, uh, early quick draw code or something like that. It's, My colleagues uh, make fun of me for being a nerd, but like, man, like this is the this is very levels. nerdy. <laughs> this is very nerdy. Here's the assembly language. This oh was, my God. was it a 68,000? I think it was. Uh, looks like it's well commented, which is nice. Yeah, this is. That'll make wow. it a little easier to, uh, to d- discern. Anyway. I, what would you run this on like today? You know, I'm sure you could have an emulator. Yeah. Uh, actually, it might be harder to find a Pascal compiler that can, that can compile it, to be honest with you. Uh, I think I've got my old Turbo Pascal 4 discs. I don't, I don't know so. if this, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. It's you got to compile, I don't know, that's a good question. It looks like it has a lot of 68,000 assembler, so that's going to be a, a potential issue. Anyway, happy Somewhere birthday. Somewhere there's Lisa. a school in Mississippi I've got to go get a computer from. They're still using it. There you it. go. There you go. T-Mobile announced a hacker once again has broken into their private records, which aren't so private, uh, and stole 37 million customer records, name, address, and account number. They say, although I'm starting to not believe companies anymore, credit card data uh, was not 
released. And uh, they'll probably order you, offer you a year's worth of LifeLock or something in, in response. But uh, credit cards, passwords, social security numbers not accessed. But be aware that, you know, they've got your phone number. They've got your email. This is not the first time it's happened at T-Mobile. In 2021, a hacker stole personal information, including social security numbers and driver's license information of 13 million active and 40 million prospective T-Mobile customers. They settled a class action related to that breach for half a billion dollars and promised it would never happen again. <laughs> oh, Lord. Uh it's just one a, of the uh, things our street does want to do on the federal level as a uh, privacy law. We feel yeah. like that that might help here. Yeah. Also, making sure reporting requirements can you know come together for government agencies too for when they're hacked. When I see stuff like that, I'm like, oh, maybe we do something here. <laughs> and uh, the final story: Amazon Smile is frowning. No more. Smile was uh, a charitable version of Amazon. If you went to smile.amazon.com, you could uh, designate a small amount of percentage of your purchases to uh, the charity of your choice. Over a million charities participated. Uh, Amazon has not said how much money was given out, but I imagine over the 10 years of the program, uh, it was quite a bit. Why would Amazon, why would Amazon discontinue such a great program um, they said after almost a decade, the program has not grown to create the impact we had hoped originally. With so many eligible organizations, more than a million globally, our ability to have an impact was often spread too thin. They didn't they didn't announce like any replacement. And I have to point you <laughs> to a Reddit post from a guy who used to work at Amazon Corporate. And say, who says, let me tell you how the entire program, Amazon Smile, got created. The problem was that a large number of customers would start their shopping at Google.com. I bet you still do this. Search for a product, click the link, and then buy it on Amazon. When that type of search happens, Amazon pays Google an affiliate fee. Internally, Amazon thought if we could just force users to go to Amazon, maybe even offer a small but lesser amount than we pay to Google for charity, we could, you know, keep the difference. Smile required you start your shopping on smile.amazon.com. How many of us did this? I did it. Uh, it helps kill customers going to Google, saves money over paying Google, and, you know, makes us look good. Um, that's why for the program to work, you have to start shopping at smile.amazon.com. Um, literally everything the company does says this former executive is about profits and extended customer lifetime value. Everything, even the charity programs are just designed to save Amazon money to which another Reddit user said, I, yeah, I was a founding member of the smile program, part of the charity support team working with nonprofits to help them receive the funds left in 2016, three years after fully uh, fleshing out the program. Uh, you are completely correct. <laughs> the intent of the program was to be cost neutral. The amount Amazon donated to charities was about equal to the cost it saved by not having to pay Google. The tax write-off wasn't the real reason. Goodwill is just marketing fodder. He says he left because <laughs> I wanted to work for charities <laughs> and, he, and he's not working for a nonprofit. So, that's another reason to be cynical. 
Anytime. I kind of love it. Yeah. It kind of makes me happy. I'm like, that's, that's really, really smart. Like, man, like you kind of wonder what happened to the person who came up with the idea, you know? Yeah. Hope you got a big promotion and a nice bunch of stock. Uh, folks, I think this is a good time to say thank you to our wonderful panel uh, and uh, say say goodbye. Smile, by the way, raised $400 million, according to Amazon, uh, for charities. So that sounds like an impact. I'm just saying. Sounds like it was accomplishing something. It's kind of weird that they stopped. Shoshana, Senator Shoshana, thank you so much for being here. Head of digital media at rstreet.org. Follow her on the Twitter at Senator Shoshana. Anything you want to plug? Um, just rstreet.org. And thank you for having me. You're always so kind. I always love the other panelists you bring on. I learn so much and I just appreciate you having me. Well, I, you're so great. Of course. What, you know, and uh, I hope that the sloths, uh, survive this, um, uh, uh, attack on, I don't know what, what are, what, what are, what are, what is the sloth committee up to at the sloth? Institute? I mean, we're investigating January 6th because what do you think it was really about? It was the sloths. It was all the sloths. It was the all whole the sloths. Time. It was all about the sloths. It was all the so sloths. I'm here trying to solve it. <laughs> and I do recommend Shoshana is a, quite a hiker. A mountaineer, I guess, would be the proper uh, term. And there are lots of wonderful pictures uh, of uh, her recent visit to Chile and others. All right, where are you going next? Ooh, uh, hopefully, if it happens, the California Super Bloom. I'm so excited. The Super Bloom is that an algae thing? It's a like it has to have the right weather conditions, and in the Carrizo area, I think it is. It's like just hills and hills of wildflowers. I love wildflowers. Um, I probably won't be hiking as much as I will just be like obsessing over the flowers. You'll be sneezing. So You'll be sne- so because we oh, had yeah. so you said such a wet winter so far. Uh, we probably will have a super bloom this year. We haven't had one in a while because we've been in a serious drought. And you'll see all those beautiful wildflowers. Uh, it only happens every decade or so. So, oh, I want to see pictures. That's great. That's Thank great. you. Yeah, have a wonderful trip. That's wonderful. And you like, tell me, because I downloaded, I think maybe because of you, uh, that Trails uh, program. You think that's a, a good program for non-mountaineers like me? Oh, yeah. It's so great because you get information on the safety, on anything you need to know. Um, There was one time I was hiking in uh, northern Utah and the reviewer before me had said, hey, um, some bears chased us, just FYI. So I was a little like (gasps) more mentally prepared for bears to chase me. And then when there's grizzlies, like they'll tell you about it. How do you mentally prepare for bears to chase you? You just, you just know, you just kind of are like, okay, I just got to look out, be more careful here. <laughs> okay. All you have to do is run faster than your friend. You know that, right? You don't have to be. Oh yeah yeah. 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 And okay. also people like people flip out over black bears. Like you should take them seriously, but they're not grizzly bears. Like they're not, they're probably not going to kill you. Yeah. Grizzly bears are different. <laughs> and then you like worry, but you just act safe and you carry some bear spray and you're good. I just uh, read an article uh, about cave bears and how our and our Neanderthal ancestors. There, there are marks on the bones that that uh, tell uh, archaeologists that they were making uh, bearskin clothes to survive the the cold winters in the. Uh, we can take them. Yeah, yeah. So there, there you go, Shoshana. You're great. Thank you so much for you being here and your giant hot dog. 
I am. Thank you. I'm, I'm very <laughs> grateful. Grateful to the giant hot dog. Patrick stayed up till God knows what is it now? Three in the morning. Three in the morning. Woo. Oh. And I, you know, I was glad to do it because not so much you, Leo, but Shoshana and Brianna were. Aren't they great? As always. Yeah. Yeah. They really are. I, I am. I feel blessed by people like you and Shoshana and Brianna that we can get on our shows. It, it's, 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 I don't understand why they, they come on, but I'm glad you do <laughs> and stay up till three in the morning. I am very grateful. Thank you. Of course, notpatrick.com is a place to go to find out about all of the wonderful shows, both in English and in French, uh, that Patrick does. Are you going to do a Swedish podcast? I don't think so. I, I don't, as I mentioned, I have two small children, so yeah. maybe one day. I know but the if, feeling. You know what? I know you, the feeling. I've done too much. I must stop. <laughs> um, but I will. I will mention. I will plug my my uh, Mastodon again. Yay! Not Patrick at Mastodon social. Just to to make it again very clear that I I hope uh, that that becomes a viable alternative to to the the other. I am network. now following so, you, Patrick. Uh, and of course, we have our. Oh, own I Mac. have to follow you. Why yeah, do I? No, follow no, you don't you? have to, but that's okay. Uh, I I am a big a fan of our of Mastodon, as you know. We have our own Mastodon instance at twit.social, yeah. uh, and it's wonderful. Oh, you even you even toot in French. Well, I don't know what a toot. I do. It's I guess a toot sweet. So uh, thank you, <laughs> thank you for being here, Patrick. I appreciate it, Brianna. Woo! I have some breaking news, Leo. A study just came out. Shoshana discussed what you were talking about. 6% of Americans think they could destroy a grizzly bear in a hand-to-hand fight. (laughs) Only 2% of British people think that. So, you know, that's just the, that's that good old American confidence that works out so well for us all the time. You know what I love is this comes from New Zealand, (laughs) where I think this article is intended to laugh. At Americans, I don't know. I'm just thinking perhaps six uh, percent of Americans think not just any bear they could tackle a grizzly bear. Yeah. Can I just recommend the excellent Leonardo DiCaprio film The Revenant? Watch it before oh my you God. <laughs> watch it before you attempt to wrestle a grizzly bear. I'm just saying. Okay. Oh my God. I mean, he makes. Uh, maybe it's a spoiler, but he, he survives. Makes it, so you know, he survives. You, yeah. You never know. You never know. There we go. I have something to plug, if I can, before please, we jump please, off. Please, 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 uh, So this is not about me. I can plug my pack. I can plug my work. I don't need that today. Um, my dear, sweet husband, Frank Wu. You all know him. You love him. Love he's, him. He's always, he's crazy. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, so he's been working extremely hard on his science fiction writing career, uh, and he is up for an AnLab Award, which is uh, one of the most prestigious awards for uh, for Analog Magazine, which is one of the oldest institutions in all of science fiction. So um, I'm asking you, uh, if you have a chance... Uh, go to frankwuwrites.com. You can, it's the very first blog post. You can read his story. And if you think it's up to the quality that analog deserves, he would be honored to have your vote. Um, these kinds of awards literally make or break careers. They lead to book deals and Frank works so hard at this. So um, I'm at, if you enjoy anything I've ever done on Twit, please uh, go read my husband's work and consider supporting him. And yes, especially since he puts it online. 
Uh, I does. think that's fantastic. And God, I, I loved Analog when I was a kid. I read it religiously. It was one of the original pulps, one of the greats in science fiction. Um, it's hard science fiction. So the thing Analog does is it it hires writers with a science background. Frank has a PhD in bacterial genetics, which wow. is why he helped develop the COVID vaccine. And he brings that knowledge to his science fiction. Uh, in this case, it's a novella. So I will absolutely read it and vote. I will vote often. <laughs> Thank you. Just vote once. Okay. Well, you know, whatever. <laughs> however, however much they let me. Rebellionpack.com if you want to participate in Brianna's uh, good political work. Um, and, of course, follow her on Twitter at Brianna Wu. I suppose you don't have an ins- uh, to to talk about or anything like that. You're not a tutor. Have a what you're to talk a, about? You're not a tutor. You're not, you're not no, I don't no, even know what no, that is. I do no. not. No, absolutely not. Okay. That's that's all I need to know. Hey, thank you okay. so much, Brianna, Patrick, Shoshana. Thanks to all of you for joining us. We do Twit every Sunday afternoon, 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern, 2200 UTC. I say that so you can watch live if you want. Get the first edition, the first draft of Twit. Uh, live streams, audio and video are available at live.twit.tv if you're watching live chat live in our irc open to all irc.twit.tv or in if you're a member of club twit in our club twit discord we'd love to have you in either place uh after the fact you can get the show at our website twit.tv when you're at the website you will see links to other podcast clients you can subscribe there in fact that's the best way to get it so you get it as soon as it's available in a, of a Sunday evening for your Monday morning commute. There's also a dedicated YouTube channel. Uh, any way you consume it is good for us. We appreciate it. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. And join us next week. Another twit is in the can. Thank you, everybody. This Bye-bye. This is amazing.